What's up, all you hitchhikers? Hello. Welcome back to another episode of The Strange Road. Strange. Uh, we've been rocking with strange happenings. Road. Uh, yep. Last week we had uh, strange happenings have been on fire. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We had a few gigs go. Um, last week and had to kind of dial it back a little bit. But we're yeah. back this week with another interview episode. Very happy to be back. And with the guest. this yeah. is uh, going to be a, a good one. We have uh, the returning Intercontinental Champ. Oh, uh, the heavyweight VJ superweight. is back, and uh, you know we met VJ. Uh, if you guys haven't seen our while uh, back, yeah. Episodes with DJ, yeah. episode four and five. Yeah. Definitely go back and check those out and kind of lay a little bit. That's of the when foundation. he was here in the states. Too. Yes, yeah. We'll so go. We we'll go through all that, but yeah, that's that's when he was local. Yeah, we well, did an episode close <laughs> with <laughs> VJ and Little Brozone. Yeah, where him and his family came down. Yeah, uh, came up rather from Cincy, and we shot an episode with. We couldn't fit you back then because no, we had no, a tiny no, little twelve no. by nine closet. It's about the size of a standard, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, state yep. prison cell. Yeah, so we had a lot it going. Wasn't on very big in that space, and yeah. then small uh, room to work in. Twenty twenty one, the summer of twenty twenty one. VJ says, "I'm moving back to India." Yeah, and I said, "Oh God, we need to get him on Time before to get on he it. leaves." Right. So we had this space, but it was like beta beta mode. Yeah, we yeah. Had nothing really yeah. set, but or the interview permanent. is still nice. Yeah, it's it's still looks really great, really nice. We had like TV back here, and mm-hmm. there's no paint on the walls. Uh, yeah. Gray paint was up, but uh, very basic, and and we had a great conversation. How about the sign staying lit? Hey, the sign, the signs. Yeah, if you lit. guys haven't noticed. <laughs> Usually, it goes out on us. Every has been day. going out the last few episodes. Yeah, every time. And just shutting off. So. We never look at it. So now I'm kind of like in my peripheral. I'm I, just making sure. I think I fixed it today. But Mikey took care of it. It's beautiful. I just like it to look sharp. So we've got a whole array of topics. Um, we've got them chiseled on yes. the whiteboard. Uh, VJ's background is in psychology. Yeah. So he's got a, a really cool perspective when it comes to, uh, you know, ancient sites in Ohio, ancient sites in India. Right. And is able to have been able to make all these different connections with languages is kind of the most interesting stuff. Uh, and his language of Tamil. And uh, yeah. shout out to uh, the YouTube channels that Vijay was on in India right, uh, in September right. and October. I heard uh, about this after massive we fired views, back up. Yeah. Insane views. Uh, those YouTube channels are posted in the description. If you want to check out, um, the, it's a, a Tamil language uh, program. Uh, there's yeah. three different channels that he was on. And our video started getting hit. From links that they put in their description show, so yeah. giving them a bit of a shout out. Um, right. But let's bring in VJ. Let's Absolutely. welcome VJ to the show. Kyle the Wizard, uh, uh, can you hit the magic <laughs> buttons and Disbro the Wizard yeah. Apprentice? Oh, can oh you, I forgot to. You, you know, rock out the. By audio? the way, I'm Mikey. This is Bub. Hey, what's up? And Stoner is always uh, directing, hitting all the magic buttons, and we have Matt Disbro in the, the bro. house as well. Um, shout out to audio. everybody in the chat as well. Yeah. Uh, real quick, everybody in the chat. We got a lot of people uh, uh, looking forward to this from what it yep. sounds like. We got Justin, Mr. Uh, Wizard. Two Justins, uh, Burton and Kenneth and Flutz and Stoner's dad always returning oh, yeah. with us. Uh, Stoner's dad's picture is a raccoon, isn't it? <laughs> I love it. Yep. Um, but yeah, let's bring VJ in. VJ, welcome back what to up, the VJ? show. We are so, so, so happy to have you back. Uh, like I said, you are the returning Intercontinental Champion of the Strange Road, 
and uh, we're, we hopped on a call. Uh, well, it would have been last night, 1 in the morning for you right. and 1 p.m. for me today. And so <laughs> you went to sleep, and then we came down here, prepped for the episode. And uh, so now you're here with us in the morning uh, in India. So thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate uh, you coming on. Yeah. So, VJ, how are you, buddy? Uh, I'm doing awesome, Mike and uh, Bob. Uh, I'm really happy to be here in this morning talking to you guys about something very important that the world needs to know. And uh, thank you, Kyle and Matt, for being on here, uh, equipping everything for us. So I'm going to consider this as a, a brand new video. So you know, somebody watching this video for the first time would know what we are going to be talking about right. and uh, what this is all about. Uh, this is not just a talk show for me because uh, the information that I'm, uh, I'm trying to communicate with the rest of the world, uh, especially with the people in the U.S., it's, it's, I consider that as very important. We, uh, apart from the essentials that we have, the entertainment that we have, it's a very key thing to know what we are, who we are, and why we are on this planet doing what we are doing. So you know, all these things, even though they sound irrelevant to what uh, you know, what we are aiming at doing, they are all uh, relevant to that. That's uh, that's something that we have to uh, know, and that's the perspective we have to look at. You know, somebody who doesn't have a background in archaeology or linguistics or anything to do with these uh, you know, uh, digging up the past. I you know I'm I'm from a tech background as well. Uh, no, it's a weird combination that I'm from a tech background as well as, uh, you know, doing uh, psychology right. as to being a student of psychology. Mm-hmm. And I'm into this, which is totally irrelevant to me. And the spiritual side of what I'm trying to explore uh, has got, you know, in many people's perspective, it's got nothing to do with archaeology or uh, history. But the truth is that it's got more relevance to each other. Uh, digging up the past is very important to us because we have lost the connection totally. Right. You know, the evolution of our society is uh, is leading us completely to the dark, and uh, we are just you know becoming zombies uh, who have completely lost connection with nature and who we are actually from the past. Do you th- so when, think when, when we like go a fairy tale almost VJ like like when we think of the Romans the Greeks. Uh, biblical times it almost seems like it seems like a made-up story we know it's history but it almost seems so far removed we're not connected to it is that kind of what you're saying with not having that relationship to the history in the past considering the fact that we learn only a little bit of history and history is always written by the winners uh, we don't know what really happened you know well put. and uh, you know what we learn is only uh, probably 0.5 percentage of what really happened. So you know, the wise people, like the most intelligent people who are observing the world as it is, will, will not just observe things as it is from the history, but try to understand what could have really happened, what has led to led these people to write this down. Mm-hmm. And you know, people will understand that this is probably not what happened. This is what happened, but they are projecting it as like this. Just like how we see in news these days, we know what happened when we see a, an incident happening on the TV, and we know why they are putting that in the news to distract people. 
So like the whole the history is a compilation of all the news things that happened. You know, when Michael Jackson told, be careful about what you write in the newspapers today, because what you write today in the newspapers becomes history tomorrow. Right. That's what students are going to learn. Right. So that's what that's that's what has happened all through this time. Whatever history we have is not what really happened, is what I would say. So it's we have to be wise to understand what really would have happened in that in that time. So that that you know that is something that we gain through experience and uh, you know uh, a different perspective towards uh, human beings and their behavior. And uh, when I say you know digging up the past, I'm not talking about uh, digging up the recent past. I'm not talking about thousand years or four hundred years, the history of uh, um, the Europeans coming to the U.S. Those have a wider um, you know. Uh, base of knowledge to access. So if you want to really know about Thomas Jefferson, you could go back and refer to some books and you have tons of uh, information about him. If you want to know about John Adams, you want to know about Ab- Abraham Lincoln, you, you have tons of information because it's been recorded uh, perfectly and language is still the same. You still can read it, understand and what, uh, you know, uh, you can understand what could have happened at that time, a point of time. But when we go back 1,000 years, when you go back 2,000 years or even before that, the information that we get uh, needs to be decoded. Yeah, because it gets a little fuzzy. It gets fuzzy. Mm-hmm. The longer you go Correct. back, you know, there's just no evidence. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I exactly. totally agree. Two thousand years, anything past that, it's like, well, we got some tablets and some cuneiform, and mm-hmm. it's just a giant puzzle. Well, but it Correct. does kind of go to say, go to his point of saying, like the the victors write the history, right? And it always makes me think of how I'm like, it frustrates me that we invented language to communicate ideas at first, right? So that we could bridge between one another, and then we learned how to pervert it, to lie to each other, to <laughs> distort, to... Well, that's funny It irritates that me to no end. We'll talk about something like God, that a little later. Crazy. One of the topics that we, we want to talk about is that exact same thing. So drives that's going to come back full circle. BJ, let's go back a little bit. For those that don't... Uh, haven't maybe watched your episodes, haven't uh, uh, seen any of the interviews uh, from you, Uh, maybe give us a little background of your time here in the U.S. And it seems like when you were here, a lot of what you're going through right now with your travels, which we'll get to and some of those things, um, what kind of got you down this, I guess, path of discovery that you're on? Got the Uh, ball rolling. Um, more than digging up the past of what happened in the world, I started digging up the past of myself, like my own self. So I'm not going to claim that I'm, you know, I'm the only one who's uh, doing spiritual researches because everybody, every human being, a conscious human being, wants to know what happened. You know, the moment the baby is born, it is so surprised about its surroundings. It wants to know why it's here and what it's doing here. That's where the spiritual search starts, you know, and everything that happens around the around the infant suppresses that search, and this baby stops searching for that from that moment because it's all about survival and living, and entertainment, so many distractions. So, but if we go back, like especially when you meditate, when you sit and meditate for a long time, you would you, you would come across a point where you would go back and if I self-evaluate yourselves in your past, and that would go back to your, your the very first day when you were born, and that first day when you were born, 
that would give you a totally different perspective. It's like you you were stuck in a bubble for a long time, and before that you were in a sack of uh, uh, bag. Before that, you don't know where you were. Right. Now all of a sudden you're born here, and you're thrown into a, an unknown terrain, and you meet some people all of a sudden who who claim to be your father, your mother, <laughs> your your siblings, and that's that's you know that's a distraction from this spiritual journey. So if you go back to find, figure out who you are, that is when all these things come up. I'm not even going to call it a spiritual journey. I'm just going to call it a thirst, a quest that every yeah. human being, every conscious human being should have. Mm-hmm. So provided you have food, shelter, clothes, entertainment, sex, and everything that you need, that is when your mind would next go to. The basics. So your essentials are here. Right. Exactly. Right. So, yes. I would say that this is what led me to do this. I'm, I'm, you know, it might sound irrelevant to you. Like, what's this got to do with that? No, it not at all. So relevant. Not at all. Totally. Mm-hmm. Not at all. So, so a self-search is what uh, has led me to, you know, oppose so many people and uh, uh, say, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do uh, what you asked me to do. I've done these so many days. I'm not going to do this anymore because it sounds totally meaningless to me. There is something more important for me to do. So I'm going to explore what I want to do. Good so that's what led me to this. But the, the, uh, the most interesting part in this is that when I came to the U.S., you know, where, from, where when the rest of the world come, uh, looks at uh, the United States of America, they don't see what I see. That's, right. that's just about my perspective. Because they think it's a mechanical society where people work and it's a big, uh, you know, it's full of skyscrapers and, um, you know, uh, <laughs> officials <everywhere>. like corporates. <laughs> not everywhere, right? Oh, not everywhere. So, yeah, absolutely. So that was very interesting for me to find uh, that the U.S. itself had its own history, uh, its own past, which has been completely covered up. Right, and you know there are different political reasons that it's being covered up. I'm not going to blame them because that's how humans act. Like every every land in this world is politically governed, and these kind of things happen. The past is being suppressed because we are going through a paradigm shift where there is a necessity for the whole society, the you know people who are running the show, to cover up everything that is in the past. So people don't go back to you know for trying to figure out who they are. Instead, just work, pay taxes, and entertain you know uh, the whole system. So it keeps running. So, so some people step out of this, see what's running, uh, you know what's actually happening, right? And they see things uh, you know like in a third in a third person's perspective. That's when they understand what's what's really going on. So that's that's one thing I, that was interesting when I came to the U.S. Uh, my spiritual journey was kind of restarted there mm-hmm. I, you know so when i was there when i saw the historical sites and you know uh, when i go to a hindu temple uh, i would feel the vibes i would really want you to feel that when you come to india when you walk into a temple yeah. you know that uh, it, it could be scientific too because you know the, how the radioactivity is high in uh, granite could uh, be I did not know that. Wait, radioactivity in granite is high? Yes, uh, there's a a railway station in the U.S. which is completely made up of uh, granite stones. 
and they measure the radioactivity there. It is so high in that rare, in that space, in that particular railway station. You can probably Google about it. Did now, all these that. temples that I'm talking about, yeah, these are all made up of granite stones. Mm-hmm. It could be that, or it could be the whole engineering setup, the, everything that you know, the the, the, the architecture. Uh, the angle in which this is placed, uh, the magnetic point in which the temples are placed. It could be so many things that actually you know, makes this uh, feeling that you get when you walk into a temple. Mm-hmm. I had the same feeling when I walked into historical sites in the U.S. Wow. That was a game changer for me. So, you know, before that, I did not have any idea about connecting a site on another continent with a temple in India in a small village. But wow. this Can I ask feeling that happened to me, sure, go ahead. I, just because the way you're kind of comparing it seems like something that happened to me once that it's making me think of. Oh, but you're yeah. saying coming over here and seeing a different site. Serpent mounds. Stirred up some of something parties. in you. I had the same when we were yeah. in uh, Thailand. We're in this temple yeah. at the royal palace in this it's a giant square and they have the temple of the Jade Buddha and they mm. have, you know, and every, I just remember it being so loud and so hot and everybody sitting on the floor and it's like, you know, whatever marble floor. And then it was really weird. At some point it just got quiet and I started kind of like freaking out a little bit. I was like, what, what just happened? I thought it, like my hearing had gone uh-huh. out, you know, just, like, just randomly calmness. Right. So we're sitting on the ground, like Indian style and all of our legs and I'm sitting next to my uh, friend's wife and then it's just me on the end. So I'm sitting next to her. And I started like feeling like an energy, like a buzzing. And it's really quiet. And it was just very strange. And I started hearing almost a dialogue of like uh, of a narrative coming into me. I don't want to say it because it sounds crazy. but Not at all. It was very basic. It was just like you're beginning to know yourself. You're, you're understanding. Like just really weird things. And I was like, I feel like I'm going to explode. So I was like. It's a lot. My friend's wife's knee was touching my knee. And I was like, I'm going to send this energy that to way. her. <laughs> and I didn't tell her until we went to dinner later that night. And we started talking about our day as we had gone on our travels. And I was like, just, just wanted to ask. I didn't say anything at the time. But did you notice? And she said, you did that? Because <laughs> she felt it. And I was like, yeah, I feel, I feel like I could feel that energy. So that's what I'm saying. I didn't know if it was just based off of, say, the materials constructing the building or the, the temple. I think or, it's all of it. Geometry, I, I, mathematics. The, that's what I'm saying. The, the intention of the, the people in the room, the collective power of thought. I don't well, know what, because it was wild. It's embedded. I've never had the, it happen again. It's embedded into the temple. All those chants. I mean, the places really in wild. Ohio, whether it's in India or Thailand, they're chanting. People are coming there for thousands of years. They're singing. They're chanting. Right. There's a certain resonant feel that that those places have. Fair enough. Amplified. It's making me get fired up just thinking about it. It was such a good experience. You know what I mean? It was yeah. so weird. It Absolutely. Felt felt like a dream almost. Uh, but I can understand again. It's, it's weird to you go somewhere else and you you have this different perspective because it looks kind of like what you know. But it's not the same imagery you'd be accustomed to. It's not the same overall aesthetic and design. So it, you're kind of like, I've seen this before, but for some reason it just shakes you a little differently. And that's just, I've never heard anybody else say that um, they've had the same reaction. So that's that's really cool. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, you don't sound crazy at all. <laughs> from an Indian perspective. I appreciate it. <laughs> See, the reason being... Yeah. 
Go ahead. Mike. Oh no, I was just saying that's Americans. We're taught like, oh, don't believe in that. Don't believe that's, in the paranormal. Right. Ghosts aren't real. Right. But you, like, he has this different perspective. We're not open to from, it. Yeah, we don't naturally tune into it, and we don't naturally have that kind of ability to resonate with it or or, or feel that frequency. We're, it's we're changing just, though. Here, it's changing. Once you understand it though, and you kind of uh, uh, feel the effects or can tap into it, that's what I'm saying. It. Yeah. It definitely changed my mindset that day forward mm-hmm. of how I viewed a lot of interactions or doing uh, different yoga practices that when I used to meditate a lot and listen to just different frequencies on my headphones and kind of do my kundalini. That was very strange and very fun. Uh, I haven't done mm-hmm. it in a long time, but I remember that getting very interesting to where it was weird. like, yeah. I've just never experienced it. And so being open to that and looking down those avenues has been a fun uh, experience and process, but with your journey and coming over here again and kind of jump starting over here. It's just so funny. So what was it over here? Was there one particular site? Was there one instance? Was it culmination of your travels in the U S I would say that it happened in 90% of the sites that I was in starting with Serpent Mound. I went to Chilicote there where we had the Hopewell mm-hmm. uh, cultural national park. Right. And I went to Cahokia Mount. Mm. You know, I, I didn't want to spend my Cahokia is absolutely amazing. So, you know, I particularly did not want to spend my time going to these fancy places. So I convinced my family to come to these boring places instead. <laughs> it's not boring for me. So, yeah, they hopped on to the car and came along with me for a long ride and, you know, just climbed the mount- mountain or the mounts with me. They had fun too, but I had a different, totally a different, um, you know, perspective towards these things. And I, and, you know, that experience, it was really good. It, uh, I never expected this experience from the U.S. Yeah, I wasn't ready for that either. Well, but that's I the wasn't, perfect uh, moment. That's the perfect moment. You're not uh, looking for it, and it's you get sucker punched by it. You're like, what? Just where did that come from? Right. You, you're exactly right. You know it. it when I talk to some people who kind of guide me in this matter, they, uh, you know, told me that this is supposed to happen to you. And they were equally surprised because it happened on another land, not in India. Hmm. So this was, you know, supposed to happen in a temple in India, but it happened in a historical site in the U.S. So, <laughs> but the incident was not a surprise at all for, you know, people who are guiding me here. You know, this experience that you had, uh, Bob, uh, you know, yeah, you are gift, gifted uh, to get that experience because yep. not a lot of people have that experience. That is the problem with the people who come uh, from you know countries uh, like the U.S. and uh, you know other countries in the Europe. They have that in them. They are ready for that, but they don't know what to do mm, with that. Right. Right. It's like you have a sword in your hand. And you don't know what to do with that. Right. And you need somebody to teach you how to handle that sword. Yeah. So you can become a good swordsman. So that's the, that's a really good experience that you had. So it's like it's like a rope. But once you catch that frequency in which your mind can vibrate and resonate to that frequency that it's emitting, that's where you start your journey from. And I would say... Uh, you, you, you're still distracted from what you're supposed to be doing. So if you go back to that frequency 
and you know tap more to that just like how a, a receiver will work and you know right. a, a, a frequency modulation receiver would work uh, to trying to gain a, another frequency and play music for you right just like that you you tap into that and you keep keep into that frequency Tune back, you would start yeah. playing more music yeah exactly yeah so but you, you got time but we all have family we are we have different goals in our life yeah so you know I, i'm not gonna ask you to just come become a sage in india no but <laughs> yeah. uh, you, know, <laughs> you, you realize the to. frequency i you would love that, to right yeah i think it's Absolutely. i think it's just one of those things too of where again you i had heard about oh if you listen to this tonal frequency or these kind of different combinations and you have these really kind of sound deprivation headphones on to where you don't hear anything but those it was weird when the certain frequencies would hit you would feel it in different places hit chakras right and that's when it that's when it really started getting stranger but then it was kind of that this goes back to that cia report thing i gave to somebody else and they were talking about tapping into kind of the ephemeral in like uh, the energy surrounding the earth, right? And doing this through yogic practices and kundalini yoga. and Astral the, traveling. Right, but they were saying how it starts at your toes and works up your legs. And I was like, I, that's when I started freaking out because I was like, it, it sounded like somebody was writing my experience because right. that's exactly how it works. It starts at It starts at the tips of your toes and it starts going up your body. And as you tune in more and more to it, it starts coursing yep. through you. VJ's a Kundalini yogi, man. He'll tell you all about it's that. It's so wild. It's <laughs> the it's the most wild. It's like being on a roller coaster. It's 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 it, it's mm-hmm. very yeah. It's different. Very different. So uh, this this frequency that you match to. So we didn't have uh, headphones uh, like two or three hundred years ago, or right. many thousand years ago. So imagine you yourself experimenting with these vibrations just by using sounds of your mouth. It's more of an internal uh, thing when you make that sound yourself. Okay. So you will feel the vibration from the top to bottom through your vocal cord. Right. And that's totally another different experience. Now you know it, you have a sample of what it would, the experience would be like. So it's for you to now experiment. And we use the sound OM. Right. OM is like, I would say in in sound codes, it's like zero and one. It's like the Big Bang sound. So this is zero. The blast is one. So this has no value. When the moment it blasts, it has a value. It's one. So it's O and M or two sounds put into one. This sound is the frequency that is in every, not just living things, but everything on the planet. It's in the Everything vibrates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's in the, it's in the whole universe. Yeah. Well, there's a frequency the to the universe. vibration of the earth as we're turning that is coming up through that core that I used to watch a tracker on that would say mm-hmm. what the different frequency of the earth was every day and like the abnormalities mm-hmm. and, you know, looking at those abnormal days and comparing what happened today in the planet, how strange was society, you know, did that send a shift throughout the planet in a certain way? Because it vibrates at the same frequency that a car or a fan does, which most people remember falling asleep as a kid in a car. Kids, my kids fall asleep in a car. Fall asleep to a fan yeah. because that's the same frequency as the Earth's uh, internal ohm that it creates. You can Google it and find the tracker and you can listen to it actually as well. But you're exactly right. Ancient Indians knew that shit. Before it's, scientific instrumentation. Right. It's always vibrating up to us. We're always feeling this vibration, right? And But wh- 
do we do we are you able to tap into that? Can you feel that level of energy, or yeah. is that something that we just inherently don't understand that is always happening to where it's just kind of secondary and in the background? Just not tuned into it. So we are like, uh, let me throw some science into this. Sure. So we are like a fish in a bowl. Okay. And we think that the bowl is the whole world. It's like, it's a human perspective. We think that we are the center of this uh, whole universe. Right. When you come out of this, if you look at the solar system, the sun takes 90% of the solar system. The rest of the things, the planets, the asteroid belt, everything else, uh, it's only 10% of it. The solar system is not what you see. It's not just the nine planets. There is a bigger sphere for the whole sun. The gravitation of the sun extends beyond that. And if you see the space between the Pluto and the last uh, thing that is you know, acting upon the sun, it's a whole big thing. And that is what you should see when you're talking about vibrations. Hmm. So the Earth vibration is fine. You are living on it, so you feel that vibration. Right. But if you go back and see, the sun is vibrating at trillion, trillion, trillion times wow, I've more than the Wow, I thought about that. Hmm. That's blowing my mind at the moment. So is it sending out like gravitational waves at the same time from its energy as it's coming at us kind of thing? Are we being affected by that as well? Are we feeling that impact? I'm not going to say you're being affected by that, but I'm going to say you are sun. Oh. So sun is the father and it's, it's the father of this whole solar system. Everything else is the result of the sun. So mm. it's not like we take sun as one of these entities. It's not that. Right. Sun is the center of the whole thing, and everything else is dependent on it. Absolutely. Like we are dependent on the Earth for all the resources. All the planets are dependent on sun for all the resources that it needs. Without sun for a minute, there is nothing left. Oh, the whole correct. thing collapses. Right, right, right. Absolutely. So, can you believe? Like, you have fire burning like ten feet away. Can you feel the heat? You can't feel the heat. No. Right? It's like twenty feet away, thirty feet away. You can't feel the heat. And can you believe that something is burning from so far away? It's mm. burning from a very far distance, but you still feel the heat. Mm-hmm. So the heat, along with the light, not just the light, light can travel anywhere, like any amount of distance. But can you believe the heat is traveling so long for like eight and a half minutes, right. and then it still, you can feel the heat. Right. You can burn something with the heat that you magnify out of uh, sun. That's... So can, I want you to feel the power of the sun through this idea. Yeah. It's, it's what is governing the whole thing. And that's part of our yoga, where we connect with the sun not just with the earth. You know, connecting with the earth uh, philosophically or aesthetically, it's fine. But more looking at in a more scientific perspective, it will go back to the sun. Because in, in some uh, some of the ancient texts, we, it's clearly mentioned that we are a result of the sun and the moon uh, having sex, our consciousness itself. So uh, you know how they call it a lunatic uh, uh, asylum when somebody goes insane? Right. Why do they call it a lunatic asylum? People go crazy during it full moons. At night? Yeah, people go crazy during full moons. Like well, ERs lunar. Exactly. Lunatic. Yeah, the full mm-hmm. moon, moon. The moon, lunar. Moon, exactly. So the moon has another impact 
on the beings that are on the planet. Just like how the high tides and low tides happen, moon's gravity can affect the behavior of a human being. Right. Just like how it can affect the behavior of the Earth itself. Oh, it absolutely does. And what does. is on the Earth. So we are going to play a game between the sun and the moon and the Earth. Like Earth is the ground where life is thriving. So it's like, imagine, imagine something like this. The, the sun is throwing sperm cells on the Earth. <laughs> and the moon is uh, throwing its female energy on Earth. And the Earth is the ground. It's the, it's the uh, you know the, the place where saying. life life thrives. Right. Well, you need so, the balance of both, is what you're saying, right? Correct. I see what you're saying to create correct. what's exactly. happening. Yeah. Exactly. So if you're sitting in a temple, you're not just going to be connecting with the temple. It's not just you and the temple. It is only like a transmitter that is going to connect you with higher vibrations mm -hmm. that come from all over. Gotcha. And it that gets even sense. crazier. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm ready. You know why? I'm ready. Take, ready? <laughs> take them off. Let's go. Yes. So imagine the, the sun as the nucleus of an atom. Okay. You know how an atom works, right? Yep. It has nucleus, it has proton, it has electron. Mm -hmm. It's positively charged, negatively charged, and it's neutrally charged. That's how it works, right? So imagine the same of the solar system. The sun is a nucleus and all the planets that are evolving. And it's, you know, atoms are not, uh, you know, just restricted to having one proton, one electron. There could be multiple of them. Right, right. right. So imagine this is what it is. So this, we are sitting on a proton, a positively charged uh, particle that goes around the nucleus, right? And there are the rest of the things that goes around the sun. And this atom is only a part of a bigger thing, of a bigger entity. Make, yeah. So there are other things. And sure. all of these are connected. So one atom is connected with another atom. And that's how you know, this, this force between these atoms form a solid. You understand what I'm saying? Right. So you are sitting here. Now you're connected with the nucleus. Now you are ready to connect with other nucleuses. Right. Now your your whole consciousness expands. Now you find that you are a part of a bigger system. Mm. Right. So I'm going to give you a perspective about this. There is a cell in your body. Okay. There is a cell in your inside your body. This cell doesn't know that there is Bob. Right. It is inside of Bob. <laughs> right. It doesn't. Right. Okay. It would never know that it's inside of Bob. Yeah. Be like, sorry, it I don't know. always <laughs> think that. Yeah. Right? I don't know who that but is. But still, <laughs> right. But it still provides all the things that you need. Right. It does its duty right. in this whole big system. Right? It would never know. What if the cell knows that it is a part of your system, a human body, and that human body is Bob? So you become God for that cell. Fair enough. Right? Damn. Yeah, that's deep. Right? That's deep. So if, <laughs> right? So imagine yourself as this cell who is trying to attain a consciousness where it is a part of a bigger system and then a bigger system and right. then a bigger system. Right. That, that's what Buddhists say. There's veils of knowledge. Well, that Fibonacci. So one veil goes up. There's another. Yeah. Right. Keeps expanding out. It you keeps know, going. Multiplying on it. Exactly. Own. Yeah. Sacred number. That's why it's called a right. journey. Right. Well, right. It's a journey. It's, it never stops. So you start the journey, it's never going to end. There's no end for soul. Just keep, you keep you know, coming back to this planet or somewhere else. You just keep uh, you know, uh, experiencing the whole thing again and again. So 
you know, this is the perspective I want people to have when they're exploring spirituality. So it's not like you have a destination, you go there and you become God. No, that's not how it works. It's a journey (laughs) and it's going to be a mind blowing (laughs) journey, just like how the baby feels when it comes out and like looks at everything. That's a great, confused for the first three months. Oh, yeah. That's a great analogy. And spiritual journey is going to throw things like that on your face. And it's going to keep you surprised. And the experience is not pleasant at all. Right. All the time. Well, that's and so true. Your talent comes in. Your talent comes in where you perceive these things as pleasant as possible. Mm-hmm. Because of the tremendous amount of knowledge, we are not ready for that. Right. We are not ready for any of that. Because, you know, look at the chaos that's happening in the world for just you know, a minimal amount of knowledge that we gathered through science, through a, you know, a progressive step through science. This much of information, no human is ready for. The brain would blast. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. Yeah. that's why they take it slow for you. Yeah. Yep. They're not throwing encyclopedia when you're two years old. They teach you the sounds, they teach you the letters, words, and then they go take it slow. Just like that, take the spiritual journey, slow and steady. That's all about it. Absolutely. It's a marathon, not a race. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh-huh. your, your ego will beat you down. That's what you were talking about. Those ups and downs when you're on that journey and you're trying to, like you said earlier, do what you want to do, do what it doesn't matter what anybody else is trying to make you, whether it's a job that you don't like or, you know, doing what you feel is, is your path, yeah. like your journey that you were on and your ego will just beat you down. And it'll give you it, you so many excuses to get off that path and to not do it. And that's where you get in those ups and downs in the journey yeah. is just purely your ego just trying to take back control of the wheel as it's it's losing control and you're reaching these higher and higher levels yeah. and leveling up. And, you know, I don't know. I think all I'm fight pretty good that. at being detached from an ego anymore because I just never really liked anybody with an ego when I was younger. Yeah. I just didn't like people that thought they were better just for no yeah. reason i was like everybody's cool i don't i don't get it like why you think you're better but i've, ne- I've never really had that perspective so i've always kind of had that I-, I think i beat it down more than anything as far as yeah. having one don't get me wrong there's been times that yeah I've definitely we all need one to well yeah like, you need that muse you need that it, fire yeah. you need that inspiration but keeping it balanced and in check right right and, and working with it rather than letting it dominate yeah you. exactly that's the key um, well said, Bob. Huh? Yeah. You know, ego is not a bad thing. No. Uh, it's perceived as bad, right? right? It's I would call ego is the result of survival. So sure. if you don't have an ego, you don't survive. You know, animals or any any living thing that does not have ego is going to die at that moment because it's directly related with your survival instinct. Yeah. Ego is a word that is being misunderstood a lot. Yep. You know, in psychology, they say id ego and super ego. Right, right. That's what Sigmund right. Freud coins there. Right. So when it's ego, it's, you know, the result of uh, whatever you do is based on your ego. But, you know, if you're able to direct your actions and if you put your ego at in your control and you when you are not directed by your ego, that's right. when the game starts. That. 100%. That's exactly right. When And that's what I was saying, kind of working with it Your rather than being, being directed by it. When you almost tune in with it yep. and, and you're like, mm-hmm. you're using it for a benefit, for a positive. Yeah, you might have an ego, but again, it, it's for the, I don't want to say, you're trying to lift everybody up. 
you're trying to tune into that and you feel that frequency. So you're like, I want to spread this. It's not just yep. for me. That's, that's the whole game is, can I make this infectious? Can I distribute this amongst everyone? Yeah. Uh, it's just, I've always kind of felt that way. Yeah. I mean, I, it, and what part, uh, VJ, when you left the U.S. and went back to India, was there a certain kind of like energy going back to India that even added to what you were experiencing yeah. here? Because it seemed like you just kind of went for it. You were Carried traveling. You were going to all these ancient temples. <laughs> fired up. Um, and you've, you've continued those travels, and you've, you've kind of uh, built your life and your schedule and doing what you're doing now to continue that. So what part of it for you to get to that point where I'm going to set myself up so I can pursue these things? Once you got back to India, what changed or is still changing? Uh, that's a good question, Mike. My priorities changed when I was in the U.S., you know, people uh, who come to the U.S. from the from India, especially, they want to build up a career. They want to settle there, uh, get a citizenship, get a job, make a lot of money, buy a big house, and show it off to everybody. That's how it works. That's how the cycle of uh, uh, commerce works for most people who come right. come to the dreamland. Right. So, but my perspective completely changed, and my you know things that I put in priority. Uh, completely changed. I, I wanted to get out of this, uh, you know, the vicious circle and go out and, you know, explore what I wanted to explore myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's I wouldn't say it's impossible to do it in the U.S., but it's so systematic that people are caught in it. Yeah. Like if you if you want to buy milk, you go to a store and buy milk. Uh, but here, I there is my neighbor who has cows, so I just give him my vessel. He fills it up with milk right in front of me and gives it to me. No pasteurization, nothing. Oh, right. So man. it's like right. a, a completely a different system here, right. which is more relaxing. Yeah. I know it has its bad side here, like the pollution, uh, you know, noise pollution, those things. But you have that choice of being relaxed and uh, you know, a calm. And you have the choice of exploring. You will find a lot of like-minded people. I wouldn't say I, would, I didn't find like-minded people there, but you know, people who are able to feed me with more knowledge I could find here. Even though they speak different languages here, I was able to communicate with so many people who encouraged me. You know, you know, people don't just go alone and drink. They don't feel comfortable drinking alone. Right. If they have a friend along with them. It's like it's fun for them, right? This is like that. You know, when you find somebody who does the same thing, you feel more confident. In what you're doing. Absolutely. I wouldn't say I have friends doing it, but when I meet people who are doing it, I said to myself, I'm, you know, I'm not crazy. I'm not doing this uh, all alone. There is this part where people are comfortably doing this. And, you know, this perspective is what I gathered when I was in the U.S. And lucky to meet you, people like you, because I had a totally different perspective to before I came to the U.S. I sure. didn't expect to find any spiritu- people who are interested in spirituality and these kind of things. I, w- yeah. I can uh, imagine. <laughs> if, if you're watching U.S. culture or the movies or television yeah. shows coming out, it's like, you know, we, that's not how a, a fair cross-section of the U.S. populace even lives. Exactly. But that's just what's represented, exactly. right? So it's getting down, you know, and seeing it for what it is like you did you got such a good perspective that yeah i'm sure it was i'm sure it was shocking it kind of makes sense now that when you came over you did have this spiritual awakening because it it took your perspective and shifted it right and then while you were here being in that mode you're you're kind of like your mind was opened 
right? Like your perspective mm-hmm. was opened up just maybe from those cultural impacts that then spiritually led to you being even more aware when you went to these sites going, oh my gosh, like, why am I reacting this way? And again, it, it, it's, it's really cool to kind of think like, you know, unlocking our minds a little bit and, and, and putting them in the right perspective to be able to tap into those uh, moments and be aware of them. Yeah, just like just like you had an experience in Thailand, I had an experience when I was three and a half years old. Oh. I had a hard time explaining this to my parents and the rest of the family that hmm. I had something like this. Uh, there is in my horoscope that I would become a sage. So my parents do not encourage these things. They don't yeah. want me to meditate. My father tried to teach me meditation, but my mother said no. Hmm. I don't want you to make your son a, a sage. I want him to be, get married, become a successful person in his life. Hmm. So I was like in a conflict between these two things. Okay. So the same experience happened to me when I was in the U.S. That could have probably happened because I was in one of these sites. I'm not sure what exactly the source is, but it was it, it was exploding. And that's when I decided to explode experience that more of that and explore more of that instead of uh, doing what I was doing. And uh, that changed the perspective of uh, the U.S. for me. Because before that, I thought, you know, U.S. is not a holy land. But in fact, it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I get it. Especially get you it. landing in I Ohio, where Ohio is specifically like the Ohio River Valley is just full of these weird mysterious earthworks and for you to land here is just interesting you know you could have went to some place that uh you know cincinnati is what an hour away from serpent mound less so uh the two hours yeah it's just incredible that you know you were able to number one find out about it how did you even find out about serpent mound that's a good question what what brought that on your radar I was just plainly go, doing Google searches on historical sites. Nice. Was, yeah. Nice. And this popped up and it was so close to me. Yeah. And the moment I saw that, I knew I was going to be there. Yeah. And that's going to be, you know, doing some weird things to me. Yeah. And the moment that I was there, <laughs> it did. And, and the, I, I will preface again, uh, we met VJ through uh, Terry and Thomas yes, Johnson. Yes, that's uh, probably Terry good Rivera. to see how we came and, into contact yeah, with Again, VJ. if you haven't watched the episode four and yeah, five, Tom's episode, um, Thomas Johnson, out. we did an episode with him, Jeffrey Wilson. Jeff so Wilson. VJ knows a lot of the folks from right. um, that we've had on the show right? and uh, has been able to talk to them and connect with yeah. uh, a lot of people. But that's how we met part VJ his, too. We met VJ through, through, the event through Tom, Tom and Terry. Yeah. Right. We did a virtual event, a live stream for the uh, Halloween – no, I'm sorry, Summer Solstice of 2020. It's like in the middle of the pandemic, um, virtual event, because usually they have these live events. VJ was one of the last speakers, and this massive storm came through, and the whole production was under this flimsy Walmart (laughs) pop-up tent, dude. Getting blown down. And it came down so hard. I thought that tent was going to blow away. We had tapestries hanging on the side. Were you screaming into the wind? Yo, man, my tent. Our whole production, my laptop got soaked. It was a deadly. And then so we decided to take everything down and move everything into the house. 
with VJ, and it was the first time I think that you'd ever given a presentation and just killed it. We're like, who is this guy? It's VJ. Yeah. VJ had never. I don't think you had ever given a presentation. Well, and like at the time, before. VJ it had just a, murdered it. VJ had a goatee. If you look at his yeah. slate yeah. on YouTube, yeah, or, oh man, he's at, yeah. Like, he's at, right, <laughs> yeah. So that's the he's been crushing it. He's yeah. been at it like. So, that beard tells the road. It I does. understand it now. It totally does. I understand. If you look at our first interview it. with VJ, there is a uh, uh, a maturation process of you can see it. You I can started see growing it my beard in September when I started my new job. This is, <laughs> I haven't shaved it since fully. Yeah, so, so I get it. Shout out to Tom and Terry for introducing us Absolutely. to VJ. So yeah, um, yeah, that's been again. That's you, the genesis. Went there, started going deep on all this research about connections with Serpent Mound and in India, yeah, and and basically bringing that back to India and and traveling to all these different places. Which you've sent me some images, some beautiful photos that I I kind of put together in, in just a little bit of a dex. But um, we can keep talking. But if we're kind of getting wanna, into, you want to throw through VJ's adventures? Yeah, that he's yeah. Had? Uh, VJ is that VJ, cool? Would with you, you want to talk about um, some of your travels? Sure, definitely. Um, I've done some intense uh, travel uh, after I came back to India. Uh, I've been to all these important uh, temples, Shiva temples in India. Yeah, There are five temples dedicated for Lord Shiva in South India, each, each for one energy. It's like earth, water, fire, space, and uh, air. So okay. I went to all of these temples. Yeah, it, was, uh, it was an interesting experience going to these five elemental temples. And like the, the, movie, the, the temple that you, uh huh, that's something like so that. So yeah. weird. Yeah, that's does. just like that movie, representing the 100%. five elements of life and what. Sorry, to interrupt. Uh, that's, I've never heard that uh, before. No, that's, that's really cool. That's okay. So this this uh, ex, uh, ex, explanation of uh, how this universe works through these five elements and how the universe is uh, you know, compiled with not uh, beyond these five elements um, is what they are trying to represent. It is more of a science. It is not a spiritual or just a hysterical knowledge that you're trying to provide. So this science that we are learning right now, it's uh, more of a materialistic science of mm-hmm. law. But the point in where the science that, uh, that these people were trying to teach, it started at a different, with a different goal with a totally different uh, destination to attain. Right. So that's where these things come into place. You know, there are uh, things that uh, um, they're trying to communicate that we don't understand, just like how somebody with, you know, uh, would not understand quantum physics. Right. We don't understand what they're trying to communicate because it's so complicated. It's so advanced. Right. And before it's the reset biased. happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we try to understand it or we completely reject it because we don't understand it. And we just see the fancy side of it and just keep uh, you know, going. And we do not see what the actual picture is. So the reason I'm talking about these five uh, elements is that because there are, um, you know, how the Hinduism works here uh, with the five gods. Uh, there is uh, Lord Shiva, Lord uh, Goddess Parvati. There is Kalabhairav. There's Brahma and Vishnu. So these five gods, they are represented as uh, you know, a scientific uh, icons. Where let, let me start in the reverse order. So for you, this existence that we are living on, uh, 
it's if you look at it uh, in a in a wholesome perspective, these these are the five things that you would see. There's nothing beyond those five. For you to live on this uh, planet, you need these five things. Uh, I'm not talking about the essentials that you need. I'm talking about the for for the existence itself right. for you to be here. Right. Mm-hmm. You need energy, yeah? and you need time. Without time, there's nothing, right? right? So you need at least one second, two seconds for, for the existence to be there. And you need life to experience this. And without us, this universe is just going to be there and we're not going to... There's no evidence of this universe. So we kind of witness it from a, mm-hmm. from a human perspective. Right. Right? And and where this comes from, all, all these uh, existence comes from, it comes from nothingness. So... And the whole thing is created and presented for us, right? So I'll, I'll go back and explain these five things. So the nothingness is the primary thing because everything comes from the nothingness. That would, we would call as uh, Lord Shiva, okay? Okay. The reason Lord Parvati is called a Shakti, Shakti directly means energy, right? So the nothingness became something because of the energy in it, just like how the Big Bang yeah. was nothing, right? There was energy inside it which made it explode. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what did the creation. The creation, the the God of creation, is Brahma. So these two resulted, Shiva and Parvati, resulted in Brahma, the creation. And all these three required a witness, which is Vishnu. Vishnu is the God of life you would see the different forms of life when they try to represent Vishnu. And for all these four to happen, you need time, which is Kalabhairav. Kalam means time. These are the five major gods in Hinduism. Okay. And if you see the creation, this creation is comprised of only five things. That is the earth, air, fire, water, and cosmos. That's what they are trying to represent here. This is the idea of trying to understand Hinduism in a in a scientific angle. Right. And that's why you go to temple. Hmm. You get the knowledge from there. Okay. This is the knowledge you derive from there. And if you if you're trying to understand what is this place, what am I doing here, this is where you start. Hmm. Start with the basics. So tuning into the the temple's frequency itself is actually teaching you. It's literally like a physical library that you can tune into. And I mean, if you looked at the, we put up an image of a couple of the temples that you went to, and it does feel like it's, you know, being there could give off a massive frequency. It's almost like code, you know, the the glyphs and the, the imagery. And can you talk about... Um, I don't know if you can see the photos of the temple uh, or which temple is this. Um, if you can see those back, that's in being shot back. Your monitor. This is Tirupannamalai Temple. I see the picture. Oh, okay, okay, perfect. Cool. This is perfect. Uh, right. So this temple is dedicated to the fire form of Lord Shiva. They say, and abs- absolutely amazing place. You. I want you guys to come here and experience it yourself. Love so you know I'm not lying. Oh, no. We've been <laughs> Don't talking me. for too long Don't about coming me. to India. We're going to make it happen. Strange Road's going to India. Mark My wife's watching. She's already right. planning the trip. So right. we'll see you soon. <laughs> so it's a personal experience you would gather. 
it's not something that comes out of uh, communication. I cannot communicate the frequency to you. Right. It's for right. you to come here and experience just like your life. How much ever I explain my life to you, you're not going to get it right. because it's your life. You lead your life. I live my life. Great point. This whole experience is going to be the same. Right. You come here and experience this for yourself. I'd love to. Yeah. And right. And th this is only one of those temples that I visited. It has a history. And, you know, the history goes back to like 1,000 years, 2,000 years, and even beyond that. Uh, wow. You know, these uh, letters that you see there, the letters that is written on the culvert, those are Tamil letters. Okay. And those letters, they were written in the later part of the time when the king decided to record uh, the construction, the, the renovation of the temple. But what was there before the renovation was uh, happened, that's a big history. Hmm. And the actual temple, I visited this temple, I could see that the, the actual temple was very small. It's not as big as what you see now. And uh, the kings decided to glorify the temple. So they built huge construction around the temple. So inside the temple, there's no cameras allowed. So I wasn't uh, able to take pictures of that. No. So inside is where you actually feel the energy. If you right. go inside, sit inside there, it's going to throw some wow. big energy on you. And you might not be able to handle that for some time. And by the time you come out, you know you've been attacked by a big uh, positive energy. And it's that's when, you know, uh, absolutely life-changing. Yeah, life I advise people that yeah, people here go to temple, worship God, ask for money, ask for a good career and come back. They give money saying, hey, uh, we are making a transaction here. I give you money, you give me this. That's how worshiping is done. Mm -hmm. I strongly advise people not to do that. Right. Mm. Not here to make a transaction here. Right. Your, your worship should not be transactional. Right. You should manifest what you want to do, what you, what you want to happen in your life. And the manifestation will happen through this frequency. So I would, you know, if I see somebody, uh, I would stop them and ask them to sit and meditate there. It isn't a custom that you, when you visit a temple, you sit quietly for some time after finishing whatever you do. In the temple, you go around, visit, see all the gods, uh, pray your uh, prayers, and then come back. It's good for people to sit down calmly without doing anything. Mm -hmm. But sitting down calmly has been mistaken. It is not sitting down calmly. It is for people to sit and meditate there. Mm -hmm. Very less people do that. Very less people actually know that. That's when the magic happens. You know, there's a difference between I'm sitting and meditating on a rock and sitting and meditating inside this giant machine yeah. specifically made for meditation. Wow. It, you, the more you sit there, the more light you see, the more energy you feel, the more things that would happen post the meditation. The moment you come out, you will feel that. You're kind of ready for doing something great. Wow. We got to go. And, <laughs> uh, Appalachian <laughs> Intelligence said, weird fam trip to India. I love it. Yeah. Hey, yeah. everybody, let's go. <laughs> Heck yeah. Uh, Bert and Kenneth, the whole crew, you know, all the. <laughs> yeah. I think my uh, wife was also making a point to your lunar connection to how it affects us. Justin Lamb. <laughs> when we worked, let's go. when I worked in the hospital, I know that she still does on full moons. You, you knew it was real as a nurse because your patients would just. Right. It was like you thought it was like a joke. Like, did somebody plan this? Yeah. But just the weirdest stuff would happen when a full moon would come out. Um, yeah. But being inside those buildings, I 
that's why I wonder if it's if it is kind of a residual resonance. If it was because that place in general is so holy, what? How do you think they come about? Do they do they do they begin because there's a significance to the site, or say there was a settlement there that put the significance to the site? How do you how do you view that? Is there is there is it ley lines? multiple angles to it? Because yeah. I would say where the church was built back in my hometown. It doesn't hold any significance to the energy in the earth, but older temples and structures, I assume some of them were because somebody went, you know what, there is something going on here. We should put up shop here. And then there were other ones that were just, you know, coincidentally in in distance or or you had a a community to build one and everybody come together and and have worship and and build that community. But I, I don't know. Do you have a feeling on that, VJ? Is there... Uh, you know, especially to ancient temple sites or or holy sites, do you find a lot of times that when you're there, there is an energy aspect to them? All of them. Absolutely. I would give you a little example of uh, what I felt when I was in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in an ancient site. It it this uh, you know observation happened in my home. I was in my home and I was trying to sleep. In India, you can't sleep with your head. Directing the knot. Hmm. Oh, okay. Your parents won't allow you to sleep like that. Can I, can I ask why? In the knot. Can, can I ask why? Yes. Yeah, okay. So, yes, there, there is physics coming into place now. We all know that Earth is a magnet. It's a giant magnet. Yeah. Absolutely. And we are also magnets. Mm-hmm. So what happens to like poles? Like poles repel each other. That's interesting. That's physics. Right. I'm going to have to go home and change Not my and bed. Not and repels. Yeah, I'm going to have to change the position of there, my There's bed. a problem there. Yeah. There is a problem there. That's what I observed when I was in the U.S. None of these houses are aligned to directions because mm-hmm. the people who build it, they don't care about directions. They just build it. I kind of ended up sleeping diagonally inside my bedroom because I wanted to keep hmm. my head in the east. Wow. Because the house is not aligned to the east. Yeah. You right. won't find any houses in India that are not aligned to direction. Hmm. The very first time they would buy a land, the very first question would be, what is the facing of the land? Is it north facing, south facing, east facing, or west facing? Well, can I east say... East facing is good. Can north. I say to that, I think maybe why we have a different directional pattern from what Tom explained was maybe the Masonic pattern of laying out homes that did face north, south, east, west because of the trapping of energy. Don't you remember him saying that? We talked like about the a Mas- lot of the Masons and how they laid out homes and which and would old, make a lot of sense. Old towns, yeah. Right, is they all faced north, south, east, west, right? Like all of the beds point north. My parents' beds still point Probably north. back like, then they were still tuned into this stuff, but now modern day like suburbs it's just like here's a plot of land. Right, right. Now they don't care, but I'm saying yeah. older homes in the US have yeah. a very abstract pattern compared to that but Washington, i don't know if it's DC. because right yeah but if that's talked about <laughs> if that's based off of the fact that they were doing the masonic build versus you know um facing towards the east and having your head that way i don't, I don't know i don't know if that's just something that was in the u.s because of that influence from the masons it definitely is you're right about that too a lot of knowledge was there 200 or 300 years ago even in the u.s for example, you would see people well bitching for water. There's right. something called well bitching where you go out to the stick and find out where the water. Yeah, dowsing yeah, rods. Mm-hmm. 
So this was there. I heard about uh, you know people doing that 200 years ago in the U.S. Mm-hmm. This knowledge has went from India to Persia to Europe and uh, and then to the people in English. They knew about it when they carried on this practice, even when they ca- came to the U.S. Okay. This this kind of knowledge has been lost in the la- uh, last hundred years, I would say. Yeah. And you're right. Old buildings they might have been constructed aligning with the directions. But these days, they don't care about it. You yeah. can see constructions made randomly, diagonally, anyhow right. they want, Fair just for the convenience of where they can find the land and yeah. put a building yeah. into that. Plop it down. So, Let's go. Yeah. What What is the What is the optimal direction to sleep? I just want to know that. So if I do east. change my bed, you okay. said face east. East. Yeah. Okay. East is the best direction to keep your head in. God, east first. So you, you keep your head in the east and to rearrange my whole bedroom back. tonight. Damn it, EJ. <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> My wife's gonna be pissed. not gonna get any sleep tonight, but tomorrow night's gonna be great. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's great. I love it. Sorry. Absolutely. So, yeah, this these constructions. Uh, if you don't uh, experience something like this in your church, and if you experience something like this in a temple, this is where the construction science starts from. Mm-hmm. This is getting more scientific. Like where uh, where this, these temples are placed, they're not pl- built on uh, random places. Okay. Specific geo, you know, geomagnetical points have been selected building these temples. Okay. So if you uh, connect all these temples, you will end up forming a grid of mm-hmm. energy across the earth. A circuit. A circuit. So these board. temples, mm-hmm. almost. I'm currently working with somebody on trying to figure out the origin of temple building, like why a temple would be built, and I figured out five types of temples till now where I was with a tribe called Irulas, they have a different style of building temple. The, the, these tribes, they don't come with the civilization yet. They are, they are uh, experts in snake catching. They still hunt and eat. So they worship um, uh, uh, this, what do you call this? White ants, the termites. Hmm. They build a house. I don't okay. know what they call them. That's what they worship. They consider that part to be fertile because termites do not build their home on a non-fertile place. If a termite builds their, its home, it is having water, running water beneath it. So it means that it's a fertile land and you can live around it. That's the science behind it. So that's temple for them. The termites' home is the temple for them and they have their houses around it. Oh, so That's how these people build their temple. Mm. So that's their style of you know figuring out where, where they should live and they establish from there. They establish their colony from there. So if you go back to figuring out what, you know, how these temples were built, you'll find th- these people who are experts in finding geomagnetic you know, magnetic locations on Earth. Right. These people just know by knowledge. They know just if they walk into a space, they would say, this is where you have to build the temple. Right, right. That's the reason you would see a lot of temples are built in places where you cannot find granite. They would bring bring granite from like right. 300 miles away. Yeah, so many Why can't places. they just build it in the place where they find granite? Right. You just want to build a building. Why can't you just take your whole construction? Because they're trying to that? amplify yeah. the area. Right. You're trying well, to turn it on. Stonehenge, those stones came exactly. from like whales. A lot of different instances. A hundred miles away or something insane. Up at Pumapunku in yeah. Bolivia. I mean, there's no stones, no trees to roll them over. I don't know how they did Over it. the mountains? Yeah. And they're like 50, uh, like 500 ton stones Highest in some cases. Highest elevated lake in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's up there. Ridiculous. Yeah. 
That's wild. You, I'm glad you brought up this Stonehenge. Stonehenge, uh, it's not the only construction site that looks, uh, you know, in that manner. Yeah. There are other places too. You find a similarity between uh, Gobekli Tepe and Stonehenge too. Yeah. Okay. And this goes back to, goes back to many thousand years, probably around hundred thousand years, because they they're called canes, and humans have this behavior of this is another type of temple that I'm talking about. So uh, the Stonehenge or the Gobekli Tepe is a more complicated version of these canes. Mm. I visited one cane after I came back, one of those places that I traveled to. It's very near from my place. It's like most of the thing is destroyed. They don't take care of it. It's, it's so old. It's from like 20,000 years ago. This cane, this cane is like built with stones that are placed in a particular manner. And this construction from 100,000 years ago, it has the same blueprint of the Stonehenge. It has the same blueprint of Gobekli Tepe. They've been following this science for many thousand years. This is another type of temple. Yep. And like I mentioned before, in like most interviews, you would find temples on river bends, like right. exactly where yep. the river bend is. Most, almost all of the temples, all of the pyramids around the world and interestingly, all of the government buildings, like parliaments, recently built, like 100 years ago, 50 years ago, even construction that are being done now, they're all built right across this, not across, right by the river bend. Mm-hmm. So, I wonder you know, what, this, I wonder what the, re, do you have a rationale for why? Why that is what the what the well, reason travel is. number one unloading, but why at a river barges. bend? I get a river, but why at the bend of the, the river? The confluence of Tyr and Columbus. No, not a confluence. You know I mean? The bend of the river, right? Exactly. That's what you're saying. Where I'll the, tell you why? Yeah, yeah. Let's hear it. I got to know this. <laughs> Imagine this temple as an instrument. Yeah. Okay. This is a. It's a device. Yeah. And where does it get power from? From the water. Where do you see the plug? Exactly. So that river bend From is kind of like water. splitting the water. Like you can take a stream of water, and if you just split that, you actually are separating. You can generate a small amount of power just from doing that in your home even with your tap of water if you split it. So at a river bend, exactly. I'm thinking so there's you, an impact that creates an energy. Exactly. The bend of the river has more current than a regular uh, straight spot. So you know, a good example for this would be the pyramids. So what you see on the top, the pyramids, they are only uh, part of the whole construction. Mm -hmm. What's beneath the pyramid, beneath the sand, is the main part. That's the actual part of the device. So if you see a light light bulb, you see the glowing part, that's only a part. The the, the actual place where it gets electricity from and it transmits and regulates that electricity to the tungsten, that's more important than the burning part. Mm -hmm. If you see... These pyramids, they have running water coming inside to the pyramids, to the bottom of the, yep. of the, of the whole construction. And that has, you know, um, regulated the energy that the pyramid needs. And it has done a lot of things. And that's what, that's the science I'm talking about. So all of these temples, including uh, this temple that I was, you know, all these temples that I visited, all of them, no exceptions, they're all right beside a riverbed. Hmm. Wow. Well, Some thinking. of these places, you wouldn't find a river, but you would see that there is traces of river there mm-hmm. from many thousand years ago. It dried up. Interestingly, 
yeah, you can, you can relate and find out what the actual age of that temple is by geological surveys, conducting geological surveys to find out how old the river was. Right. Sure. So if you know when it dried up, this temple was built before it dried up, when it was a fertile river. Right. Mm-hmm. Some of this uh, data numbers are mind-blowing because there's a construction site. It's called uh, Kailasa uh, Temple. It's it's a very interesting place. We, and, uh, everybody should come and visit the place because this temple was built from upside down. It was not built from oh, down up. I've heard about this place. You might have heard about it, mm-hmm. right? This temple has a river running right beside it, but this river is not there anymore. And I'm trying to figure out what the age of this river is, like when it dried up. And mm. there are interesting numbers coming up. 15,000 to 13,000 years. Wow. That means that the temple could be much older than what it is. Right, you know, right. Told to be has. Well, that's a good so, indicator you know, to start following. To, Man. You know, to have that as a, a thread to pull on to go, well, I know water's important. When was water last running mm-hmm. here? And you could look at, you know, different mm-hmm. sites. 100%. All over. But they don't I, use geology right. enough. Well, made me think you when know, he was saying about sites. the engineering underground of the pyramids, made me think if I watched an entire show about just Machu Picchu and the engineering put into the ground. There's always tunnels and weird chambers. They did always. all of the layers of the soil. Yeah, like they dug down, put rocks, sand. That foundation. so if there was water, because they're at a high peak. Yep. And they made these terraces. Yeah. What if you get heavy rainfall? Which you know, apparently that was a very big concern at that time. They're running the water all through that place. So it well, it soaks in the ground too. And yeah. It doesn't erode and just toss them off the that. side of the mountain. But it goes back to what he's saying about the pyramids and how, you know, what we see on the surface. We go, oh, well, okay, that's a very nice uh, geometrical shape. Cool, good job, ancients that were building shapes. We don't get any, you know, it's that judge in the book by the cover deal of, oh, there were tombs for bodies. No, there was no bodies in these, you know. Yeah. What were they using them for? Why why are they building these massive structures if it's not for the pharaoh and his uh, 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 queen? You know, it doesn't make sense. No, and it's also interesting that they haven't explored more than 30% of the Great Pyramid. Oh, I mean, the How? cave systems are what? like 2% of the, yes. just the tunnels underneath the Great Pyramid. They're just now getting robots and stuff in there secretly. And I don't think they want to talk about what's underneath the pyramid. This is the there's longest movie ever. Of, there's so Come many on. hidden chambers and weird things going well, on that Edgar they will Casey, not disclose. The Paul of the Sphinx and... Mm-hmm. The right uh, Paul the Sphinx. I mean, the we like talked to history of humankind and the knowledge of everything, kind of like you know the the original yep. safety vault of right. history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's wild. It's it's frustrating. This you not know, talking about this will lead to more more topics. Yeah, I would keep talking about it, but you know, since you asked, uh, like, what my experience is about visiting these temples. You know, you can't visit what's beneath a pyramid. Yeah. It's but closed off. I was lucky to visit what's beneath a temple. Oh. Oh. It's a huge temple. And there are tunnels in every temple that you see there. Wow. You cannot access these tunnels. They're locked with gate. Yeah. Every temple has sub temples around it, like two kilometers away, three kilometers away. You would find a lot of temples. All these are connected. So if mm-hmm. you go to Chilicote, you would find the Hopel Cultural National Park. That's not the only site. Yep. Just uh, you know, a few miles away, there is Saib earthwork. Yep. And right. There are a few other earthworks too that they don't expose. 
There is a reason that they have built the prison, the correction center, right in front of uh, yeah. the you know this this part. You know, there is there's something big hiding beneath well, the correction. The facility. Army Corps of Engineers is right next door, VJ. I've never thought about this. Next to what? Where? Uh, right next the to the site? Hopewell. The the Hopewell, the Hopewell enclosure that everybody knows is really famous. Where there's a bunch of conical mounds all together yeah, yeah. in this beautifully enclosed square. Yeah. VJ saying that's just one part of this big Hopewell, huge temple complex that spans all over. But right next to the Hope, the main one, is Army Corps of Engineers right on the river. Hmm. What's going on? I mean, mm. all those sites are right on the Scioto River, all up and down it. Never. And then there's a huge prison. Continue. Never thought Right about across that. the road. Yeah. Let's dig into this because. There you go. Get on the trail, Mikey. I'm on. All right, VJ. Sorry I, to interrupt. Pe- pe- people. No, you're good. So the people who start their uh, research about these mounds. They're sitting on one small, very tiny piece of this big puzzle, and they they think that's it. It's not it. It's a you know it's a very huge exploration. It would take more than a lifetime to explore that and right. figure out what it is. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's when I you know dropped going to these actual places, and I went back to figuring out what the blueprint of this is. Okay. What the what what was the idea behind building it? And I started exploring sacred texts that led led to this. That's when I met, met some interesting people. And you know, the very first question that I had when I walked into this uh, you know Hopewell Cultural National Park, or uh, I wanted to see it from an aerial perspective. So I took some pictures of it, and I knew it was a Hindu temple. Hmm. The moment I saw it, I knew it was a Hindu temple because. The previous time that I visited the Serpent Mount, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I sounded crazy to my wife when I when I said I wanted to visit Serpent Mount for the second time. She's like, "Why do you want to go back there? <laughs> see, there's nothing to see there." I visited like, that place more than six times. Wow! Yeah. I keep visiting that place. Yeah. Because I keep um, you know, gathering vibrations, information, so many things from there. So I don't want to miss it. Nobody comes. It, it doesn't matter. I just go along. Yeah. I sit there. Uh, I know I know I'm going to gain some kind of information from there. This uh, serpent mound was not a um, a snake at all. So in my first presentation, I mentioned that it is a Kundalini yoga. They have mentioned the Kundalini serpent in serpent mound, not a snake, not a regular snake that you see crossing by the road. But there were there was mixed uh, reactions to that. Uh, you know, nobody was uh, ready to accept an Indian idea in the U.S. Right. Many thousand years ago. Right. So you don't see the connection at all. Right. That's when I actually started digging up. So I knew it was this. And I had to provide valid resources, valid evidences for people not to get convinced, but to believe what it is. Right. And that's when the story started. And, you know, me visiting temples here in India, they are a result of that. This is not my primary area of interest at all. Temple architecture, that's not me. I'm more of exploring my mind, the human mind and the universe. But these are kind of supporting evidences for me. So they provide a solid uh, support to me when I explore this. 
So I can't uh, ignore it and say, I'm going to just explore this and not this, because they're all interconnected. So you can't just sit and study physics from your first grade. You, you have to study mathematics. You have to study English to, to be able to communicate it. Right. You have to study geography to apply the physics in the, on the earth. So you have to have multiple subjects inculcated to you so you can provide a wholesome idea to your next generation. That's how the science works. And that's how it worked for me too. And the moment I started uh, digging into this, gracefully, like luckily, everything started to fall in place. Everybody started to fall in place. Like I met Mikey, I met a few people from there. Uh, I met uh, so many people from India. And yesterday was like almost a step ahead for me. Because of the time confusion we had, I thought this live program was (laughs) going to be happening yesterday. Mike said, hey, Bob, relax. (laughs) It's not today, it's tomorrow. I get it. I I wanted to make use of this. (laughs) I wanted to make use of this 24 hours that I got in between. Yeah. So I went and met an expert. This expert, I've just seen him on videos and I've never actually uh, uh, talked to him or anything. I just called him the day before. Uh, he's fighting cancer right now. He's, oh, he has wow. cancer. He can't speak well. But uh, the moment I said, I want to meet you, he said, come over, meet me. That's awesome. I met him. And he's a very famous person in, in the Tamil community because there he, is. he, to start with, he has found over 6,000 Tamil words all across the world, all across the entire planet. And he said that this language has connected people from different cultures all together, providing so much information and providing so much, uh, you know, uh, things uh, and knowledge and education that you need. Mm-hmm. And there has been continuous trade communication, continuous cultural communication that has been happening for so time, so long. And I can't, you know, not believe him because that's what I saw when I saw a Hindu temple construction in the U.S., right. I know I was, I was right. Yeah, so I wanted to talk to him, and you know, all these researches that I did, he said, like, you just hit the tip of the iceberg. Wow, there is a lot to it. Yeah, and the information that we that he uh, provided to me in like the three-hour conversation that he that we had, it it was amazing because. Wow. There are people, so many people who have researched on this, not just him or me. There are people who have worked on this before. Right. Mm-hmm. And he handed over a couple of books to me. Right. And he said, these are the books that are going to be a guide if you want to talk, if you want to research about the American-Indian connection. Wow. So I'm, I've seen this connection all over the world. Sure. The reason yeah, that I'm you've been on it, man. The, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah, you've been on it. Uh, the reason I'm, I'm highlighting the U.S. connection is because you're from the U.S. You will find it interesting if I'm presenting information from the right. U.S. You wouldn't find it interesting if I'm presenting information from Turkey or Russia or somewhere else. Right. Uh, Rings a little bit it's all closer there. to home because sure. it's hitting right. us a little bit uh-huh. more tangibly. Yeah. And that's why it's resonating in exactly. India, too. And Vijay's blowing up on all these YouTube channels right. over in India. Real quick, Vijay, can you just, for our listeners that, again, haven't maybe saw the previous episode, can you talk about... Uh, the Tamil language and some of the significance of, uh, you know, the story, maybe just like surmise uh, what Tamil is 
Um, and uh, for our listeners at home on the live stream. Kind of the origin of it and, and where it comes from, you mean? Yeah, just some background. We're getting into uh, this gentleman. I just want everybody to know sure. about it because it's fascinating. Yeah. The language. He was telling me about it. I was listening to the old episode earlier today, so I was listening about it, but I, I found it fascinating. If you do a Google search trying to figure out what is the oldest language in the world, yeah, you would have some languages pop up for you. So there would be a tie between Tamil and Sanskrit. So you're trying to figure out which is the oldest language. Yeah, I'm not going to say they are different languages because the researches that I did about Tamil, uh, it's pointing out to another archaic language, which is the source of the actual Tamil that we're learning now, or which is the source of the actual Sanskrit that we're learning now. So it goes back to Sumerian language, which is the oldest dead language in the world. Mm-hmm. So to start with, Tamil, so prominent people have spoken about it. A paranormal researcher called Alex Collier, his video became so viral in the Tamil community because he mentioned that Tamil is the oldest language in the world. And we all spoke that language across the world. We spoke the same language, just like how it's mentioned in the Bible, the Tower of Babel. Everybody spoke the same oh, same wow. language and the human community became so powerful. And he says Tamil is the language that we all spoke. Wow. That's, that's to start with. That's, that's Alex so Collier. And if you go back... Mm-hmm. Wow. If you go back, there is a couple of uh, academics who have mentioned that Sumerian is the archaic version of Tamil. Oh. And Sumerian is like the source of all the holy books that right. we have. Right. It's the source of the Old Testament and Bible. If you if you, if you try, you know, if you ever wanted to question like who gave information about Adam and Eve. Right. Like where did this information come from? Right. If you do a research on that, it'll it'll direct you to the Sumerian tablets. Mm-hmm. That's where Adam, Adam and Eve story came from. Adam. Yeah. It's it's not a it's not a Christian story at all. No. It's bef- yeah. it's pre-Christian story and it's pre-Abrahamic uh, stories that yeah. come from tablets, clay tablets that are many thousand years old. We're completely not able to figure out how much old they are. They yeah. could be much older than what uh, people say they are. But and he, this uh, Loganathan, Dr. Loganathan, he says that uh, he's been researching on Sumerian language for over 25 years. He's not just a linguist, he's also a mathematical genius. So he's, uh, he has done his research on how mathematics applies, uh, applies in language and in human mind and how it affects uh, the human behavior. Right. It's a very interesting topic for me as a, psycholo- as a student of psychology. But his, his contribution to this uh, linguist side, he says this language is the oldest language. Mm-hmm. And there is another uh, interesting researcher called Asko Parpolo. He has done, he's a Finnish uh, Indologist. He has done research on the Indus Valley Civilization. And interestingly enough, he has said that Indus Valley Civilization is Tamar Civilization. Wow. So, and you will find Indus Valley inscriptions in Easter Island, which is like no way geographically, mm. geographically related to Indus Valley Civilization at all. It's like many thousand miles away. Oh, yeah. Easter Island is a ghost uh, island sitting in nowhere yeah. in the Pacific Ocean. And you would find the same inscriptions just like the Indus Valley Civilization, which is somewhere in the middle of uh, Asia, in Easter Island. So it's, it raises big questions on how this language got there. 
Wow. And people in in the East Island, they call it Rongo Rongo. They don't know where this language came from and they are not able to decode any of that language what? at all. That's so wild. Wow. That's so wild. After so, watching that documentary last night about the guy thinking that life originated from Easter Island because of his research. There you go, dude. That's that. We were it's just talking about that earlier today. Wild. Yeah. I had a question, VJ. You were you were recently so, with um a kind of someone that was obviously giving you information, right? Meeting with uh is it uh Balu or how how do you say the last name? Yes. Balu. Um, his name is Urisa Balu. There you go. Um just from the perspective of you're giving us all this information, how nice is it when you get that chance to go speak with someone where you're on the receiving end? He was end feeling like or, we're feeling right now. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, <laughs> I've had that experience before yeah. where I feel like I'm the only one giving, and I'm other people, I'm like, can you give me? I want some back, too. I need some as well. Do you know what I mean? You can't just give, give, give and not refresh yourself and have those moments to kind of charge your your spirit and soul back up as well and, and get that information from somebody that's further down the road or had a different experience as well is that what you've kind of found uh imagine your kid walking up to you and saying with a lot of surprise and a lot of excitement <laughs> saying hey dad this is a this is b do you know this a yeah. and b and you're like okay yeah i already know a and b i had when i was talking to him <laughs> oh, i was man. like telling him this is what i did and this is what i did right. and he's like watching everything and i said stop right there Okay, read these two books. And I got some tons of information. And That's he, like, awesome. Poured in information on him. Right. He sent me a couple of messages. And I had to go through those messages for an hour to understand yeah. the connections. That's so great. It was like he said, you know, you started your journey, you know, this research journey well. But uh, people have gone way ahead. Like, I've gone way ahead, he said. And you know, I'll be glad to share all the knowledge with you. And That's great. He's a very down-to-earth person. Yeah. Too. But, you know, it's more of a you know, teacher-student uh, thing Absolutely. That in this subject, I would say. So, you know, uh, these two books, if you want to show that up on... Uh, yeah, on did you want to talk about Lewis uh, Henry Morgan first or the books? Or Lewis Henry Morgan? Sure, definitely that. Because I have an image uh, up of yeah. Lewis. And then from there, it kind of goes through <laughs> the, uh, the two books that you were talking about. But I know you wanted to talk about this gentleman who back in the 1800s, mm-hmm. I'll let you kind of take away... Yeah, did research on Tamar. Yeah, uh, Lewis is a very interesting uh, anthropologist, and uh, I, I brought this guy, uh, this gentleman, up uh, so uh, you know we should understand that not just people from Asia or Europe have um, found this connection. He is an American anthropologist. Yeah, he he lived in the U.S., but yet. When he was uh, researching on the Native Americans, the, the American Indians, he found out that they are directly connected uh, with the Indians that lived in South India. Hmm. And that, that, you know, that should be promising for somebody who wants to believe this connection. Right. right. Because it's from, yeah, between uh, the U.S. and India, which has been established by an American. And, you know... Uh, he has found, uh, since he's an anthropologist, he has not found uh, just archaeological evidences, but more of, you know, what anthropology is to do. It's the human behavior and how the community works, how the society works, those kind of things that he researched on. Right. He found that, you know, the particular way on how 
uh, uh, the society the, the the society is formed the family is formed in the in the native american community it is the same as in the the south indian communities as well that's wow. interesting and you know yeah for a regular person it's nothing uh, they could just say that two humans group of humans behaving the same way it's nothing but uh, in an anthropological view, it is a great similarity because right. that's not how humans acted in the rest of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. There was nomads in Siberia, nomads in uh, Mongolia did not act that way. They had a different, uh, totally a different pattern of family, pattern of society. And but these two were so similar. He found out so much similarity in them, and uh, that's what led him to strongly propose the idea that the Indians were um, closely related to the. South Indians, the American Indians were related to yeah. South Indians. Yeah. So uh, people who who just don't want to believe an Indian guy sitting and saying that, hey, we are all connected, they should go, uh, you know, look at his research because he's an American who has researched on this. Luckily, he had a uh, a peer working in India at that time, so he had just uh, communicated with him and asked, hey, hmm. I've done some research, I found some similarity to this. Can you take it up uh, more and provide me more information? This gentleman from India provided so much information for him, hmm. and they made a connection and established this idea. That, wow. So, you know. Hmm. Wow. Again, I'm, I'm proposing this to you because you're from the U.S. Right. And uh, there's, there's your forefather uh, right. sitting there right. who, who has done research. Doing the work. And, you know, you can go out and... Yeah, yeah, believe it. Yeah, wow, absolutely. That's so great. Let me flip here. Yeah. What's the other? Um, one oh, I went the wrong way. Sorry. Uh, the next one is like VJ was talking about these two books here. Um, there we go. Oh, Hindu America. And this book is very interesting, and it's uh, written in English as well. You can go and purchase this. I looked it up before we went on. VJ, if you want to talk a little bit about this, if you can see that image. Well, um, honestly, I haven't read this book because I received them yesterday. This is from the, the I wish I had received it before. But he, he talked a little bit about uh, some of the things in this book. Is that exactly. right? So his, yeah, he said that his, all the researches that he has done, um, he was able to back it up with this book because somebody okay. already has worked on this idea and established uh, the whole idea and compiled the ideas into a book. He strongly suggested that I read this book. So I would gain more and more information on this. So I see some connections here. Regularly I talk about this religious connections, language connections, cultural connections, Mm -hmm. and geographical connections too. So, but he said that you would find more of uh, more connections than what I just, what I gained through my research. Yeah. So I'm yet to read this book. I'll definitely, uh, you know, talk about uh, this. Uh, I strongly suggest people uh, from the U.S. to read this book and understand what's uh, really going on with the sacred sites. Uh, right. And this is by Chandran Lal. Am I saying that right? Chandran. Mm-hmm. The so, author. Yeah, I think his name is Shaman Lal. Uh-huh. Okay. So, yeah, check that out, guys. Very cool. Um, And then here is the other book that this gentleman, we're just going to kind of like talk about that really quick because I know this this one's kind of interesting from what you were saying on the phone. Yeah, this is another book I'm very excited to read now. So these this book is uh, is uh, those texts 
that is written there is, it says uh, South Indian Sora, I'm sorry, South American Soras is what it says. So Soras are kings, very prominent civilization in South India. They had their, you know, their empire extended all the way up to Indonesia from South India. They had the biggest uh, fleet of ships in the whole world. World has never seen such a big fleet of ships ever before. And he conquered almost all of the Indian subcontinent, like Cambodia, Indonesia, Malaysia. You would still see his coins, his temples, his architecture, the language, history, and everything wow. in all of the subcontinent. And this author of this book, he proposed that it is uh, um, the Soras that had lived in South America too. Because there's a, you know, this brings up an uh, interesting topic, like how we believe that uh, people from uh, the Europe crossed the Atlantic Ocean, reached uh, the U.S. continent. Right. Orisa, by the way, I met yesterday, he backed me up when I said there has been a lot of uh, trade and communication happening on the other side, in the Pacific Ocean, from Asia to, to the U.S. continents. Pacific Ocean is not just water. There are a lot of tiny islands you will see between right. the, between the U.S. continent and that. These con these tiny islands they are reminiscent of a bigger part of a land. There is a you know a theory called a, a land of Mu or island of Mu, M mm U -hmm. for Mu. So this it's been rejected by the people who said that the Bering Strait is true. Lemuria, and, <clears throat> and that's where the clue lies. So there's been a lot of, uh, 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 I would say, sailing happening between these two pieces of lands through Pacific Ocean. Yeah. And even after the land sunk, this island of Mu, it is said to have been sunk in a short span of time. And even after it sunk, what do you see? The Hawaii and uh, Easter Island, mm -hmm. and Cook Islands, many of these Fiji and all of these islands that you see there in the right. Pacific Ocean, uh, they are just the tip of a big piece of land, they say. That's why the Easter Island in like nowhere in the in the middle of the ocean has so much construction on it. Like, <laughs> who 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 are they? Why would they build right. this on a how'd you get on a there? Island? Right? How'd you get there? Why why there? It's a high point of movement. why there. Maybe right. they were just sailing and they got really tired and they're like, you know what? Screw it. We're done. We're staying. This is as far <laughs> as we're going. I mean, I, that's the only thing I can think of because otherwise or it doesn't make sense. It was right? a rest stop on the way to Peru and the Yucatan, and yeah, maybe they were like the know. first B and B, right? Stop in the outer region B and B. Yeah. Well, I mean, that brings up another interesting topic too. So imagine this Easter Island as a tip of a mountain, right? Okay, it's a high people point. climbed all the way up a mountain, where, which is a sacred site, mm -hmm. and that and the rest of the land is now under the ocean. So the tip is what you see, and you think it's an island. That's, it's not an island. That's okay. That's interesting. Yep. It's the high point. Mm -hmm. I did not think of it that because way. Because one of those styles of uh, styles of building temples um, is on top of the mountain. Right. Right. Like Machu Picchu. Right. So Machu Picchu, for example. And most of the Hindu temples, like you will see a lot of Hindu temples right. built on, uh, on top of the mountain too. Buddhist monasteries. As, right. You know, yeah way mm -hmm. up on mountain peaks and very treacherous mm -hmm. and well you're hired at the power psychologically it's probably uh -huh, it's like uh, out of a fear of the flood too yeah uh, yeah you know 
Yeah, there is a theory that says that people one day lived on mountains at one point. There were no fields, there were no plains, nothing. And all the oh. people who lived on mountains, they survived there. And once the water receded, um, you know, the temperature became good and the water froze on the North Pole and the South Pole. That's when the water level receded in the oceans. That's when people were able to climb down from the mountains to the plains and start agriculture. That is a course of human evolution because uh, in, in Tamar, yeah, in Tamar, there is like five types of lands. Uh, the one land is mountain, it's called Kurunji. Another land is called Mullai, that is uh, agricultural land. And, uh, um, you know, there is sea land, there is uh, uh, desert, and, you know, I think it's uh, forest, forest land. So, not sure if I'm saying this right, yeah. Kurunji is mountain. Uh, Mullai is forest, uh, Maradam is uh, agricultural land, uh, Nadal is uh, seashore, and Pali is desert. So the first people, the first, the, if you go back to history and find out who are the first people of the civilization, it goes back to this Kurunji people. Kurunji is mountain people. So why weren't there people in Mullai, which is the plains? These people are not there because there were no plains. It was all flooded, and mountains are the only places where humans lived, is what they say. So they, if they want to go from one place to another place, they would go from one mountain to another mountain, thinking that's only the only the piece of land. So more, the water receded, and that's when you actually saw the plains. That's when people actually climbed down from the mountain, mm. came to the fields, and started doing agriculture. And agriculture has played a huge part in human evolution. It started in such a short span of time. And if you go back, right. you find Lord Shiva as the one who taught us agriculture. When, that's when humans started uh, making civilizations. And it goes on. So, And Lord Shiva. These people. And, and Toth and Veracocha and Quetzalcoatl. Mm-hmm. All of them were, you know, during the floods, like essentially restarting. It's like the same story. And, you know, the fact that mm-hmm. you're saying India and places like Mexico, you know, uh, Lord Shiva and Quetzalcoatl and these these folks are coming back to, you know, restart essentially something. Uh, once the waters kind of recede, then all of a sudden, boom, all these, you know, really advanced civilizations kind of start popping up. Um, and, you know, it's just the similarities just of the these demigods that you hear about, whether it's Thoth or Quetzalcoatl or... Um, they're just all connected, man. They, you know, they have to be. Exactly. So, like, from looking at uh, this religions from a child's perspective, like if you say there's God, why would there be a God only for the state of Tamil Nadu in South India? Right. Why would you have a God for just England and Europe? Mm-hmm. God is God for the whole planet, right? So, th- it's a great you know, way to put it. This is some question we sub. Right. Yeah. So if you have a God, he's going to be the God of every civilization all across the world. He's, he's the God, right. but it's, he has different names. Um, the Islam people call him Allah. Hindu people call him Shiva. Uh, the Christians call him Isa. And Buddhists call him Lama. It's all put together. And, you know, if you, if you go down uh, from this philosophical idea to uh, more of a, a research um, angle, you would see that you, know, the, you would find uh, Lord Vishnu in uh, South America. You would find Lord Shiva there. You would find statues of Lord Brahma there. 
you will find the same in uh, the Greek civilization. You will find the same in Egyptian civilization. You would find Krishna in Hopi tradition. You mm-hmm. would find uh, Muruga in the uh, Marawa tribe. It's all connected, you know. I'm not even going to throw this as a surprise anymore because I'm overwhelmed with the knowledge that people gave me and uh, uh, the information that I gathered. I just right. tell this casually. Come on, right. guys, believe it. I'm I'm tired of telling you this. Right. <laughs> it's like that. It's not shocking <laughs> like to you anymore. V- Vijay had talked about Krishna yeah. and Kachina. Yeah. And all of those words are just the 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 Tamar words with Native American words. Um, you were talking about mountains, and one thing yeah. you were talking about earlier on the phone, and again, just magically, the Lemurians, Island of Mu gets brought up, yeah. which brings us to some interesting stuff that you had talked about, Mount Shasta. I want to hear this. lately, Mount Shasta's been kind of a buzzy thing online, YouTube. It's always had its lore. TikTokers, Instagram. Like, yeah. Mount Shasta's hot right now, and it's always something that's been on my radar because of the legend of after the fall of Mu. These Lemurians fly in their ships to Mount Shasta and create their inner mountains uh, yeah. civilization and then are come out when the flood subsides. Yeah. But Mount Shasta is this holy land where people have been Refuge. going for thousands of years on patronage. And VJ was talking about some similarities and some mm-hmm. things that he found about Mount, Mount Shasta. VJ, yeah. if you want to take it away, um, I just got a cool little photo I found online. No, that's cool. Yeah, Mount Shasta is one of those holy places in the U.S. People still do pilgrimage to Mount Shasta. Yep. They go there and uh, do ceremonies there. And I, from the research that I did, I found out that this has been going on for quite some time, since the Native American time, and they don't know how long it's been happening before then. And uh, I did some research on uh, trying, not a research, I would say, just did some you know Google searches on trying to find out what, what is the source of the name Sasta? Because Sasta, if you just Google Sasta, you would find a lot of places in India than Mount Sasta. Because Sasta is a very common word used in India. It's okay. both Tamar and Sanskrit word. It's, so this the people who lived around Mount Sasta are called Sasti, which is again a Tamar and a Sanskrit word. You know, a lot of people might have heard about the symbol called swastika. Yep. Swastika oh, yeah. is a symbol. Yeah. It's often mis- mistaken for the Hitler's violent symbol, but it's act- it- it's derived from an ancient Hindu symbol. And swasti means simple or mm. e- easily accessible. And there is something called kandasashikavasam. It means uh, complicated information provided in an easy way. That's That's what it means. And these people were called Sasti because the language was simple. Anybody could learn that language. And they were so easy people. That's what that's what, that's how they derived the name from. And that's how this mountain derived its name as Sasta, Mount Sasta too. And, you know, the more, I tried to figure out more myths associated in, uh, to the tribes there. And there's this turtle mythology that is very prominent there. And Orissa Balu, he's an oceanographer. He, he does researches based on turtle paths. So he wanted to find out how these people went all the way from India to other continents. It's not easy to travel in an ocean. Right. You know, expect to uh, land somewhere and just go and teach people about something. Right. Yeah. Uh, he observed these turtles and... Uh, he went back to find the history of uh, the importance of turtles being used in various civilizations. 
and he figured out that the the Soras and the many people, the Pandyas, the, these kings who were from South India, they did not just uh, travel, you know, sail on the ocean, but instead they followed the turtles, which came all the way from Australia, which came all the way from Madagascar, to lay eggs in India, and these uh, baby turtles, without any care, without any parental. Uh, um, guidance, they would just go back to Madagascar, where mm-hmm. their parents came from. How do they do that? Because, and he figured out that these they use a current, the sea currents, right. to do that. These sea currents are not regular. They happen only at a particular uh, you know, uh, point of the year. And these turtles knew when these sea currents happen. And that's exactly when they came and lay their eggs. And that's exactly when the eggs would hatch and they would go back to their home. Right. So these sailors, they knew these currents and they would not sail using the wind. Rather, they would just sail using the sea currents and reach where they want to reach. That's so wild. Wow. So this turtle, uh, the the importance of turtle in in the U.S., in the tribes of the U.S., is very prominent. You would, uh, if you just do a Google search on how, how important turtle is, you would find a lot of information related to these turtles. And one guy even calls the whole U.S., uh, the North American continent, not the U.S., the whole North American continent as a turtle transforming into uh, an elephant. Turtle island. And, you know, mm-hmm. and these turtles, the turtle mythology is uh, prominent in uh, Chinese civilization too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, right. And these tribes uh, who were there around Mount Sasa, I'm not sure, completely sure. I haven't gathered information, but they also believed in uh, this mythology. And interestingly enough, I was uh, given this information from uh, uh, Mr. Sabalu. He uh, he asked me to refer to all the uh, you know things that he shared with shared to me with. Um, I'll tell tell you some of these. These might not make sense to you, but uh, maybe people who would uh, watch from India, the uh, Tamil people who watch from India, they would definitely um, make sense of this because they know the language. Sure. Mm -hmm. And he he raises a question of how the musical instrument flute was used in Native American culture. And it's not, it doesn't come out of nature. It's it's something that you design and you play it. Right. So this, uh, the flute is an Indian... uh, musical instrument, but it was simultaneously found in the Native American culture too. And we can go back to uh, you know Krishna, Lord Krishna, who was a flute player. If you just mm-hmm. uh, see a picture of Lord Krishna, he would always be, uh, be found with a flute okay. he plays. So that connects a dot too somewhere down the lane. And some of these words uh, from these uh, uh, Native American culture, uh, there is Tamulipas, which sounds like Tamar. There is Tamiyan, which is sound again sounding like Tamar. There is Tamukka, and there is Tamkan. These all sound like the word Tamar. And there is Salinan, which is also a Tamar word. There is Payatta. Payatta means practice. Uh, the, the martial arts Kung Fu. It was an Indian art which went from South India. It, it, the, the original name of uh, the art was Kalari Payatu. And the Kalari Payatu was, uh, you know, it, it was taught by an Indian king 
um, called Bodhidharma. He went all the way to China to mm. cure a disease, and then he taught this to the Chinese people. It's called Kalari Payatu. This Payatu word is used there. There is Kalari Adu. Kalari Adu means the same, the Kalari, the first word, means war. That's also a Tamar word. There is Yane. Yane simply means elephant. It's also a, a Native American word, Yana. Muhawai, Mojave. Mojave is a tribe in the US, in the Native American. Hmm. Means Mugawai, means your mouth on the face. And these uh, statues that you find in uh, Easter Islands, they're also called uh, Mowai. Oh, Mowai yeah, statues. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. And there is Elamu. Elamu means Iram in Tamar. And Tolawa means distance, Tolaibu in Tamar. There is Tonguvan, Tongwa tribe in the US. And it's called Tong, Tonguvan in Tamar. And there is, he has also mentioned the word Sasta in there. It's the way that I explained it. Right. Right. These are some of these interesting words. So if you are an English person, you travel to China and you find ancient places and name them like Phillips or Henry Morgan. <laughs> right. Smith. How would you find it? Like Smith. Yeah. yeah. Like, right. So if you see a, a, an inscription saying uh, Walmart, Super Center, <laughs> right. how would you find it? Like it's, like, it's that feeling where you get right. when you travel to an ancient civilization, a location, and you ask them, what's your name? And he says, my name is Manonmani. Because Manonmani is a prominent god in Hinduism. And Manon, it's Menomini in the Native American culture. And if you say Menomini to anybody or Manonmani to anybody in South India, they would know what it is. They're like, how did this word, uh, how are you using this word? That's the question, the first question they would ask. Right. And, and interestingly enough, you, you know, there is uh, Agathir who is who is the most prominent figure in Siddhas. Uh, you know, if you haven't heard about what, uh, who Siddhas are, Siddhas are, you know, the people who, the wisest people in, uh, in South India who carried all the information from the world before to this generation. They write songs, they write literature, all kind of literature. And Lord Shiva is said to be Adi Siddha, means he's the first Siddha. And all the Siddhas who came after that, they worshipped uh, Lord Shiva, but they were called by different names. And one of the prominent figures is Agathir. Agathir. It's A-G-A-T-H-I-Y-A-R. Agathir. If you want to tag, you know, hashtag this, you should, you know, you will find a lot of people find this interesting. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Orizabalu told me that there is a word that is similar to that, which is Agassia in Native American culture. I find it mind blowing because there's there's no way that this this mm. is a, a coincidence, right? Mm. And there is an Agathir mountain in South India. There is Agassiz speak in uh, North America. Mm-hmm. That's no way uh, you know a whole mountain is dedicated to him because that's where he sat and meditated for many years, and he did alchemies and uh, uh, many things like Siddha medicines and food uh, and. This entire mountain is dedicated to him. I was about to climb the temple last uh, December with a friend of mine uh, called Lithuan. But then, uh, you know, they, we dropped the plan because she got injured. Mm. And I found this very interesting that this mountain 
has been named Agassiz in the, in the American continent. There has been a lot of connect, you know, things going on between these two pieces of lands. And, you know, next time we talk, I'm sure I would have read this book and I'm going to, you know, come up with a lot of more connections. Yeah. Um, yeah. Your, your meeting yesterday spurred on a whole, yeah. like, you're going to go so deep on this stuff. And, Bob, I just wanted to ask VJ real quick. We read this article we did on an episode about the Havmasovs. Is that word in any way related to Tomer or because it was these this ancient civilization that was living up in the Sierra Nevada over Death Valley and the when the water evaporated they moved up into the mountain and then the Paiutes and Native American tribes were knew about them. Knew about them yeah. and they would visit and come down in their flying canoes and they had technology and this person was invited up into their inner yeah. kind of mountain sanctuary. And Havmasovs, just that word just seems it's so... Strange. It's a strange term. But it just seems like, you know, they were some kind of a culture that was super duper ancient. Well, they were seafaring at first, they were VJ seafaring. saying, but that's what I, that's when what the water receded, that's it. why they stayed up in the mountains and yeah. found like kind of a natural stronghold. But it kind of goes back to your point, VJ, of saying, you know, all these different... Um, cultures that were originally up on these peaks because there were no, you know, valleys. There were no um, plain lands. Um, there was just more little dots of land to start on. It's yeah. just interesting because it's definitely how the happiness of story goes is kind of like the bathtub being drained, the water recedes, and now, you know, there's all of this land, mm -hmm. and they're kind of like, you know, we're, we're going to retreat into these caves in the mountain and build our cities inside this mountain. And that's kind of what it makes you think of with Shasta. Yeah. Does that ring a bell, that word, the havmasovs or anything like that? That, that, that was like yeah, linguist the term. Linguistically, I'm just curious. But yeah. if not, we can move on. No, no problem. I was just curious. Well, uh, yeah, you, you know, it's a very human mentality to worship your home. Like you know, people who may have moved from the mountain would say that was our home once upon a time. That's where we came from. Right. We're all mountain people. Right. And most of these mountains are sacred because of that reason. Right. And, you know, that's why they say Himalayas is the home of Lord Shiva. Like, you know, you know anybody with common sense would ask, like, why is he sitting in the ice? Why can't he be somewhere fertile? Right. Why is he sitting right. on top of a mountain? So that's where he this came from. This could be from. the reason why... That's where it probably came from. Gotcha. That was okay. the only land at that point of time. Right. No, that makes sense mm -hmm. now. That mm -hmm. does make sense. Mm -hmm. Man. Wild. So, yeah. Did, did you want to ask me anything else, Mike? Yeah, I know you had talked about uh, the East Indian myths and some of the stuff in, like, the St. Lawrence River that we spoke about a little bit as well that kind of connect, again, more – American uh, stories with South Indian myths. This is also an information that I gathered yesterday from the gentleman. Uh, there is a co concept called Saptakannigal in Tamar. means seven holy uh, rivers. And the same concept was found in the Native American culture too. So the tribes that who lived in Canada, they had this myth. And they somehow, through premonition, figured out that there is going to be a European invasion. It's like 
people from a foreign land is going to be invading them and destroying their lands. So they decided to move down south. They were instructed not to go any any uh, up north, rather go down south and occupy lands where they could survive for a bit longer. And these people, they moved to seven different lands. And uh, those seven different lands, is it's so similar to this Saptakarnikal concept. And I would uh, tell you those seven uh, lands where they were. Uh, one of them is uh, St. Lawrence. And uh, there is another spot in Wisconsin. Um, I'm looking through that. Yes. These, the, the, the gods, they call them the gods, the seven uh, uh, water uh, masses. It's called Migi Luminant with seven colors. M-I-I-G-I yeah. is mentioned. Luminant with seven colors. Saptakannigal. And one of those places is Ottawa River. And another one is Lake Nipissing. And then the two great lakes of Wisconsin. Hmm. These are the places that they went to. This Saptakannigal is is so similar to this myth. And there's, there's no way that these two similar stories happened by accident mm. in two different places of geography. Yeah, I, I mean, that's quite a big coincidence, if so. I mean, the connections just never end, honestly. <laughs> like, that's what I'd say. It's just everything's connected after a while. You just yeah, I mean, it's start feeling like you're in one little diorama that's just been played out like a Scooby-Doo background. You know, it just keeps playing the same thing over yeah. you. Like, I thought this was different. No, uh, it's kind of the same, too, and... But it's wild once you get enough of a variety, like you're saying too. You go well, clearly, mm-hmm. this is you know Tamil, or or this comes from India. You know, you're, I'm seeing this site that right. I recognize, and I'm across the globe. What that's got to really sh- you know shake you or stir you up a little bit. I imagine mm-hmm. it would because um, you wouldn't expect to see something recognizable so far away. It's a good point. You know, exactly. it would yeah, be very so when, shocking. When it hits you with Vijay's lens, mm-hmm. where he's looking at it yeah. from this growing up in India, this yeah. Indian perspective, yeah. and then you come over here and start whole, seeing just like, whoa. The whole earth is Combined yeah. with a spiritual awakening that he's having. Yeah, but um, it goes back to that whole kind of ownership of, no, it's my God, no, it's my God. No, it's God. It's it whatever, you know. Yeah. one thing. Yeah, we can share. Uh, real, one thing that we kind of, I had an image that you sent me that was a little earlier in the slide deck that I went back to, and that was this earthwork uh, ceremony that you uh, found in India, and then also an earthwork in Wisconsin. Can you talk about that? I don't know right. if uh, we can put that image up and you can see, but I put them both up together for us to kind of look at that, uh, but I, I, that's it's pretty wild. Yeah, one of those questions that I never got answered uh, when I was in the U.S., uh, trying to figure out what these earthworks are made of. Mm-hmm. Um, these mounds, I kind of figured that, figured that out. They are actually pyramids, disfigured pyramids covered with um, dirt and grass. But these earthworks are not the same as the mounds. They're, you know, they are right. often mentioned together, uh, which is confusing. But it's not actually the same. Right. These earthworks, they have a significance. 
these earthworks are done uh, specifically for somebody to look from up above. Yeah, it's right. not made for people to look from down below because you can't see what is there. If you see Serpent Mound, there's nothing for you to see if you're walking around it. Right, you have to see from an aerial perspective. Yeah, That's up. when you understand that it's a giant serpent, right? So I asked a few people that I met there and I asked them, uh, what is the serpent mound made of? What is the material which is made of? Is it rock or is it granite? It's what exactly is the material? And people gave me mixed answers. They didn't know what it was. Uh, and I had this question running in my mind all the time. And, you know, someday I, I thought I should figure it out. And I heard about, you know, people digging into the serpent mound. So I, I thought maybe it's just, dirt and you know if dirt is standing strong for this long there has to be a particular you know a way a manner in which this dirt has been conditioned to right. stand mm-hmm. long. right so you know when you make pottery uh you, you use clay to make pottery uh you dry it and then you burn it so this during this drying process all the water goes out of it and during this burning process the rest of the water goes out of it and the, the clay hardens you know, the, uh, the molecules come close to each other and it hardens. That's when these parts, these pot, they can stand good for thousands of years. That's why you are able to find pottery from 3,000 years ago and so right. mm. 4,000 years ago. So this technology that might have been used to make this earthwork, is what I guessed, because it's been standing there for so long. So there's no way that just piling up mud could stand there oh no no they, they have base of clay there's th- different layers of three different kinds of sand that were brought in from all over the place uh most mm-hmm. most earthworks and mounds for those who are just listening if you could just describe these images um we have two here that we're showing um one on the left is where where was that uh image come from a tall shape in the ground uh- I think that is in the state of Wisconsin. Wisconsin, right? Okay. Yeah. It's a very huge uh, earthwork, and it's uh, often called a lonely man or earthwork of a man. You will see the road running right across it, destroying like a little bit of it. That gray line that you see there is actually a road. road. Oh, yeah. It's a hype. So it used to actually connect down to the feet? Yep, the original mm-hmm. effigy. They cut was... his, cut him off at the mm-hmm. knees is what Jesus. we're looking at here for those that are listening. How's that? And for we can history? post these images in a, whoever in a whoever the uh, civil engineer was on that one was like, this will be a good one. <laughs> yeah, but then on the right the you legs. see them creating this uh, this figure. That's a cool picture. on the ground. Yeah, with these different layers of I'm guessing sand and dirt, but it's being sculpted. And yeah, and they're even it's it's got. Uh, a lot of color. I mean, it's beautiful. Maybe that's what the earthworks looked like a long time ago. Maybe they were completely decorated like to this. Them. And the serpent had, you know, who knows? Yeah, well, we know the serpent effigy exactly. has been not t- twisted over time, but certain aspects have been remediated. Yeah. Like the little horns around the head. Now it just is grass, but what if it looked like yeah, absolutely. Something completely different. Absolutely, yeah, it's tough to tell. What do you think I'm about that, VJ? I know for sure that Serpent Mound is uh, a leftover of a huge temple. There was a huge temple there. And interestingly enough, Serpent Mound is also located right by a stream. Right. Which should Fresh have Creek. been 
a, a river. Right. Brush right. Creek, yeah. It should have been a river. At some point of time, it should have been a bigger river. And, and a spring, and, a really, mm-hmm. really like famous spring um, that just so mm-hmm. happened had a crop circle in 2003 right across the road from it. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, super, super rare. Uh, in Ohio, it doesn't have, hasn't had that many crop circles. I'm going to be um, going to Server Mountain this summer. Yeah. Let's make a, a weird a weird family trip. Um, <laughs> um, Clark Griswold style. Yeah. I mean, a lot of great comments. Not, not a, yeah, go ahead, VJ. Not, not a lot of people notice these mounds right by Serpent Mound. There are two mounds that you would see still right. sitting there. Yeah. yeah. And few of them have been destroyed, which again proves that this Serpent Mound is not just one piece of uh, nope. uh, earthwork. It's a it's a piece of a large puzzle, a, right. a yep. big, bigger construction. Totally. It's a it's a whole big complex. And you would see houses built right by the Serpent Mound. Uh, I, I don't know how you know they were able to encroach into that space, but a lot has been destroyed. And you know, we are seeing only a little bit of that. Right. And mm-hmm. it, I would say that this is a Shiva temple. People might get offended saying, hey, wow, why do you want to bring Hinduism into this? But this is not Hinduism. It's it's, it's much more ancient one than that. group of people calling Shiva. Not a group of people might have called him with a different name. It's one guy right. across the world. Right. And you know, I'm mentioning the name Lord Shiva because he, you know, that's how he's mentioned now. And he does not go by any name in any other religions that per, uh, that is present right now. Yeah. And you know, the name I mentioned Lord Shiva here is because he is the teacher of Kundalini Yoga. And the serpent is Kundalini serpent. And, you know, in both in Buddhist, Tibetan Buddhist culture, in Indian uh, Hinduism, in yogi culture, serpent and uh, the, the, the Kundalini serpent, Lord Shiva, are so associated. And he's, uh, he's said to be the first Siddha who actually raised his Kundalini to become Shiva, Lord Shiva. Hmm. And... And this place is educating humans about Kundalini Yoga. There's no way this is not a Lord Shiva temple. Wow. That's wild. You That's really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes sense. Right. It does. And there is mentions about Lord Shiva in uh, Mexico and uh, in South American cultures. I, I think we have talked a lot mm-hmm. of uh, things about it Some already. Statues that but this sure earthwork, yep. Yeah, this earthwork, the question that I had in my mind when I saw these earthworks in the U.S., they finally got answered when I came to India. The reason that I sent you these two pictures and I wanted you to put them together is yeah. because uh, I, was in, uh, I was in India and uh, I went to this festival called uh, Mayana Kolei. I mean, it, it's a festival where you pay respect to the dead. Mm-hmm. And it also connects an interesting festival. Uh, and I was uh, researching on Halloween. I was trying to figure out what is the origin of Halloween. Yeah. And I did not have a reason to celebrate it. Halloween is not related to any kind of a European festival at all. And it, it actually is a transformation of another festival where the Native Americans, or the Mexicans, they celebrated a festival of the dead, right. where they pay respect to the yes, dead. Muertes. And that, right? That's what they call it. Yep. So this is... The festival that has transformed in the European uh, uh, settlers' culture as as Halloween. Okay. They and this Mayana Kole in South India, in uh, in the native culture, is also 
paying respect to the dead, but how do they do it? And this was the first time I was actually allowed to watch something like this uh, by my family. They don't allow it because this happens hmm. in a uh, in a crematory. Uh, that's where the bodies are burnt, right by right. right next to the earthwork is where the bodies are burnt. And and I found that they do this earthwork. They spend like few days doing this earthwork, fully made of clay, and they on the day of the festival. They put a lot of uh, uh, organic material on it. They burn it. They burn the organic material, which makes the clay, just like how we make a pottery. That's mm-hmm. why I mentioned the pottery thing. They burn it, and this earthwork now is ready. Like It's a strong construction made of clay, which is going to last for a long time. Mm-hmm. Wow. And in since they keep celebrating it, they don't let it uh, last for a long time because they have to do it again. Gets destroyed, and you know next year they will build a brand new one. And these, this lonely man that you see there, I see this. They have celebrated Mayana Kolei right, in, uh, right. in this. This is the probably the last festival, the earthwork from the last festival that they were able to celebrate before the invasions happened. And well, that's, I know it's it's in a different style altogether, right? Like it's a totally. Uh, you know, not uh, uh, you can't expect the same exact figure because yeah, right, right. If you see, if you see Buddha in Afghanistan, he'll have big eyes. If you see right. the same Buddha in China, he would have small eyes. Right. In right. India, he would have curly hair, and right. it's all different. That's but it's all point. not Buddha. It's right. The it's skinny like Buddha, the fat, the chubby Buddha. <laughs> right. You know, there's mm-hmm. the 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 very skinny Buddha yeah. when Siddhartha was making you know, when he was living with the. People in the cave, like the story of before he became the Buddha, he was starving himself. So you have like the where his ribs are all sucked in, and there's all different styles. That's a great point. This is cool. This right. is really interesting. You right. sent me that, and it's like, hmm, man. And it didn't stop there. It didn't stop right there because when I was in the Serpent Mound, I found that you know people, uh, farmers from all over the country, gather there. They get seeds and soil that is charged. They say that, you know, the soil that they collect from Serpent Mount, they throw a bit of soil in their fields, their agricultural fields. That kind of charges their soil and uh, yields more. And you won't believe I was standing right there watching the whole ceremony, watching, you know, a lot of things happening. And a lady picked up... uh, mud from the ground and she put it in her pocket she picked up some more and gave it to me saying go put it in your house or put it in your field it'll charge your land it's mm. like what <laughs> this is exactly what happens <laughs> in another continent right right wow. that's right. funny that's really and funny yeah it's got a scientific background too right so yeah you know i, I have watched a video i'm not able to recall where i watched this video but people who make this earthwork, they don't just pick up clay from random places and do it. Rather, they they uh, pick up clay, you know, they do a lot of things with this clay. It's uh, organic and medicinal things that they do. They manufacture a particular type of a bacteria in this soil. Okay. That bacteria, it, it is what you need to produce more nitrogen for your for your agricultural field. 
So what you're basically doing is scanning this bacteria from this land and putting it in your field, which is going to multiply mm. in a few days. Wow, it's going yeah, to produce yeah. More nitrogen. Culture, yeah. More yield. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Never wow. thought of that. Right. Jesus. So I can keep going, but you know this this is <laughs> this is for you to understand because <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm telling you only the things that I found in the U.S. and India. Yeah, right. this is right. It just never ends, man. You have mm-hmm. gone through so much since you left. I mean, you had a lot of cool information uh, before you left, and I think just with your mm-hmm. travels, you're putting, you're meeting a lot of interesting people too, which helps that are turning you on to. Right. I mean, well, our, our next episode will be about these books. I have a feeling uh, once you get a chance to dig through those. Um, but I mean, this has just been an unbelievable conversation, like always. It's uh, a ride. VJ's the it's heavyweight champ, the intercontinental champ. Yeah, the heavyweight champ of the strange road, a hundred percent. And I know by the next time we talk to him, he's going to have more. Yeah, that's he's not that's done. What's gra- that's what's great. Yeah, you are endlessly learning and trying to gather and keep building upon what you've already learned. But you can see your enthusiasm for it and your interest in disseminating that to people that yeah. want to understand it, which is also a benefit. You know, a lot of times it's kind of like, oh, I learned this. You go learn it yourself. And having that perspective to be that teacher aspect of it is very uh, encouraging because it's so easy going to talk to you about it. Do you know what I right. mean? It, it, yeah, it's such a normal conversation. Yep. BJ, is there anything else you want to leave us with? Is there any... Uh, you know, something maybe that we haven't, uh, a message that you want to share to, yeah. uh, to everybody. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I haven't talked about my spiritual experience in this journey at all. I'm just providing, uh, you know, the entertaining information in this. To me, it's entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, all these supporting evidences are like, you know, interesting and makes me more, do more research. Sure. It's not what I'm doing, actually. My, my journey, the spiritual journey, is way more interesting than what uh, what I was expecting it to be. Uh, in the, a few day, few months after I came to India, I met um, a few people. Normally, I don't get to um, meet these unusual people uh, um, who are nomads and uh, who are uh, aloof. From the entire society, one of those uh, you know people are called Agoris. Uh, you might have heard about it. If you don't know who they are, you should do a Google search on them. Um, now, a prominent thing about these Agoris are they are cannibals. They eat human meat, but there you go. So many things were told to me about them, which are all false, and. People told me you know, the way they dress up or not dress up, the, the way they look, uh, the cannibalism and uh, the uh, the practices, the, the way they pray to God, everything looks makes them look so rude. Right. And nobody wants to go near them. People mm-hmm. run away if they see an agori here in India. But uh, I was lucky enough to meet a guy who was able to understand English. This guy changed my perspective about spirituality, and he changed my perspective about Agoris too. He was one of the most pleasant guys that I've ever talked to. Wow! And he was funny too. You know, we—I don't speak his language. He speaks Hindi. I—I I speak English. He can understand a little bit of English. And 
we we spent some time together, quite some time. I'm not able to disclose all the things that we did and uh, talked, but I would give you the highlights of what you know of what you are, you might want to know. When I told him about this is what happened to me and this is what what I'm doing, I'm not sure if you're the right person to discuss. But do you have anything for me? And he said, like, you're you're caught in a small bubble still. And out of this bubble is the whole world. And you have no idea what's coming for you. And you have, you're not ready for this at all yet. Mm. There's a reason you and I am talking now mm-hmm. about this. And, you know, interestingly, many people that I meet say, hey, I was waiting for you. And that happens to be, I feel so lucky when somebody says I'll that. Bet. I know you're going to come to me. I'll yeah, bet. right? Yeah. So this is one of those guys who said, yeah, I know you're going to come here to me. And what you are doing right now and what the rest of the human beings are doing right now is completely out of order. And we have to, this is a time for repair. People have to quit what they are doing right now. Everybody has to quit and repair from the soul to the earth. He said, from the soul to the earth. We have to repair the earth. We have to repair the soul. There is nothing else important right now. Right. Share markets are not important. Uh, skyscrapers are not important. Banks are not important. Money is not important. Taxes, not, nothing is important right now. This is the time given to us by the grace of Almighty to use your mind and repair. But if you don't, this is the end. So there is a great reset and it's happening very soon. And if you are wise enough, you you would face that happily, just like how we witness everything that's happening in the world. But if you're terrified of it, it's going to be bad. Yeah. That's right. That. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great message, dude. What a way to keep rocking twenty twenty three. What a way to wrap that with yeah. Uh, and and knowledge coming from maybe a place that you least expected it with these cannibal oh, sadhus, yeah. well, you know, that are unapproachable in some people's minds. But, you know, VJ is just like, just get a bad I'm going to go hang out with these guys yeah. and see if I can learn something. And that's why we love you, VJ. <laughs> You're not afraid to go no. hang out with cannibal sadhus and gain. There's a lesson like, to be learned. Maybe the one of the best nuggets of your entire life looking back in right. 10 years. And <laughs> maybe that meeting with that person, you know, looking back put you on even closer to the path that you're on now so their their practices are so crazy you won't you won't believe when i see a homeless man in the u.s i wish i could take that the homeless man and uh, you know make him meet this uh agori wow teach him his practices because two things that affect a homeless person in the u.s one is the weather the cold weather right the other one is hunger Mm-hmm. These these agoris they don't have hunger and they nothing no sub zero temperature can affect them because they don't eat for six months or one year or two years. Whoa! They just don't eat. Yeah, it's hmm. against science. It's against belief. I know there are a lot of people in India don't that don't eat. They don't eat at all, and hmm. these agoris can live in sub zero temperatures without like nothing happened to them. 
You would find I'm gonna have to ice read map. up on this. Yeah, yeah. right. I, that you got mm-hmm. my interest I mean, peaked. Yeah, you hear about the uh, ancient people in India or yeah. to, through meditation that only I've, take a spoonful of something or yeah, I've heard just different drink water. tales about people yeah. existing on very sub standards of caloric intake. Right, but right. I've never heard of anything of this to years of that. That's wild. I'm gonna have to look into that. Yeah, you got me on homework duty. Just. <laughs> Do do a Google search on Iceman. There's a oh, Westerner. Yeah. I'm not sure. Oh, Wim Hof. Uh, Wim Hof. Yep. Yeah. Wim Hof. Yeah. So Regulates I think breathing. Mm-hmm. He's wild. Mm-hmm. And he 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 lives in sub-zero temperature. Climbed he, Everest he in his high underwear high. or something. I mean, he does crazy mm-hmm. stuff. He mm-hmm. ran a half marathon north of the Arctic Circle barefoot and in boxers. Yeah. And they thought they thought they were going to have to amputate his toes and stuff. And he's like, he's, "No, they'll I'm be good. fine. Yeah, they'll be fine." These sadhus. And later, you look at him, and his toes were fine. I mean, it, yeah. yeah, he's mind blowing. Correct. Wow. He learned it from from, from people the similar to it's the breath. It's yeah. breath work. And it is breath work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is not. He's nothing compared to these people. Well, I believe yeah. it. Nothing I believe it. I believe it. Right. Mm-hmm. But it is one of those things you're talking about pushing the limits. Like you know, I. I do it just because I kind of forget to eat sometimes, but I mean, it might be 12, 24, 36 hours in between meals sometimes just because it's not as important to me. It's not something that's on my mind. I eat when my body tells me I need energy to a certain degree, and that keeps extending at certain levels to where I'm like, man, it used to be 10 hours. I'm not going for any goal. I just, again, once my body kind of tells me, hey, you need food and intake, then I'm good for it. But yeah. I don't have like I have to eat it morning and twelve o'clock and five o'clock and I, I don't do that. That's wild. Should go hang out with the cannibal sodas, Bub. I might do it sometime. Go hang out <laughs> Take with us there. I am. That's what I was about to say. Like uh, you know, the next time we meet, maybe maybe in the six months or one year. I don't know how long it's going to be. I'll have more information about this uh, gentleman community there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because I'm going to be spending a lot of time with them. Well, uh, let us know. We need to set that out. trip up. <laughs> oh, we're going to set it yeah, up. Yeah, that's yeah. great. But, VJ, we're going to wrap this up. It's been a pleasure. We will yeah. obviously yeah. talk to you so much more in the future. Absolutely. And we're going to start planning this. I'm even more inspired to start getting the ball rolling on I a like project. That. There we go. Uh, VJ said he's got some of the sites already planned out. We'll start building kind of a, a basis of let's do it uh, of a production of let's a shoot. It. We can do a, a, a travel series. It could I be an informational series. Yeah. Um, but I see like Tom Serpent Mount Impact Crater video. Just multiply that by you know maybe it's episodic. Yeah. Temple to tw- temple. Who we'll knows? See. There's but a lot. Of, there's a lot. Super out there. super yeah. exciting. VJ. We want to thank you so, very so, much so, so, we appreciate very you. much for joining us uh, tonight. Again, uh, you know, VJ is, um, you know, you you can uh, reach him through us. Uh, yeah, if and, you need to contact him or have questions for him, we can relate them to him. Yep, and we have, um, if you want to, I know, VJ, you do accept friends on, on uh, uh, through uh, Facebook and, and some of that stuff, but you know, hit us up if you guys have questions for VJ. Uh, we can definitely uh, help you guys out, Absolutely. and we want to thank everybody uh, that tuned in tonight with the live stream. We really want to thank you for Absolutely. tuning in, checking and, this episode out. You know, there's some creators uh, here in our chat that you know uh, 
Burton from Local Legends, mm-hmm. Appalachian Intelligence, yep. AI, uh, which Kenneth was just on their show, I guess, last night. So we oh, nice. that to come nice. out. Um, so, you know, thank you to VJ. Absolutely. Uh, thank you to everybody, JoJo and McGee Justin Joe. and Justin uh, uh Justin Lamb. There you go. Also, Justin England Justin and his England, wife were joining his us wife were earlier. Um, who am I missing? Anybody? Feel free. Flutz Capacitor. Flutz Capacitor. As, as always. Necro, everybody. Necro, we had the whole gang up Necro in here Mechanimal. today. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys so very much. You know where to find us if you don't. We're yep. on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're all over the place. Mikey. Uh, what's yours? Is it just Mikey? At Mikey Leesner. At Mikey Leesner. Yep. Kyle Stoner. Yep. Kyle on the ones and twos, the wizard. And you can Disbro find helping us out with the audio tonight Matt again. Yep. It's a nice little uh, package we got going on here. We hope to keep bringing them to you guys. Yep, absolutely. VJ, you're the best. Last words for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank, Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you so much, Bob. And thank you, Kyle and Kenneth. Uh, you guys are doing a great job. Keep doing it. <laughs> thank you. Thank Appreciate you. It, VJ. You're the best, man. Dude, that was awesome. Have a great thank day, you. VJ. All you guys at home, thank you so very much for kicking it with us tonight. Bub, that was a fun rock. Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, go find us uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, all major platforms. Hit that like and subscribe button. Give us a rating five stars or bust. Five stars or bust. Uh, Hit us up on Instagram, you know, Facebook. We're all over the place. Um, We'll try to get back to you as soon as we can. Reach out, contact us, hit us up. If you uh, have something to share with us and think it would be good information and good conversation, give us a give us a message. Thumbs we'll, up. We'll get back to you. Yep, absolutely. You guys are the best. Till then. Adios. Peace. Drop that bass.